Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice and Stephen Meads back together again. My cough has rescinded. It's not gone, but it's better. However, Stephen is dying. Somebody has to have a cough on this podcast. So you're like, I'm inheriting your cough. I feel bad no, it's... because we haven't seen each other since I got back from the Rose Bowl. So I couldn't have actually given it to you. But no. I feel like, is it possible that I gave you something like through the podcast or like through a text message is that so. possible i'm trying to like soak in all the information i can from you and along the way if that comes with the cold and that's what it takes to be dug is to have a cough i guess i have to have a cough no there are definitely there are parts of me listen there there, there are a few good parts of me that you might want to uh, emulate in some way there are very many 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 bad parts and this is one so try not to follow my lead on this. All right. There it is. That was his cough. I'm so excited for someone else to cough. It's going to be awful. I might start a tally. Um, man, you guys are going to be so excited when, like, in June, we finally have a cough-free podcast. It's going to be amazing. All right. So here are the things that have happened. Some people wanted some emergency podcasts in the last week, but I wanted to hold off because we did six in a row at the Rose Bowl – it's only been a week since the Rose Bowl. We're recording this at 3.43 p.m. on Tuesday. We're not even a full week removed from the Rose Bowl. The nope. start of the Rose Bowl a week ago was still an hour and 17 minutes away. So it feels like a million years ago because so many things have happened. But we wanted to let some things calm down. So we did not jump in with an emergency pod. But to recap... And if you don't know this stuff, I don't know why you're listening to this. But to recap, here's what has happened in the last week. Transfer quarterback Justin Fields has arrived. Michael Jordan, the starting All-American center, declared for the NFL draft. Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback that everyone knew was leaving, finally declared for the NFL draft. 
Jordan Fuller, the safety, Malik Harrison, the outside linebacker, both decided to stay. Those are two big guys on the defense who are staying on the coaching staff. Alex Grinch, Greg Schiano, and Bill Davis are gone for the defensive coaching staff. Jeff Halfley, Greg Madison, and Al Washington are in. And also Ryan Day hired Mike Yursich, the Oklahoma State offensive coordinator, as the new passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach, replacing himself. So that's a lot. There's still more to come. We need to hear from K.J. Hill. We need to hear from the cornerbacks, Kendall Sheffield and Damon Arnett, about what they might do. Also, Ben Victor said he's coming back. I guess that counts. I guess he could have gone. It wouldn't have really made much sense to go, but sometimes guys go. So um, Ben Victor is staying. So there are six assistant coaches as of right now that are locked in on this staff, six of ten. On offense, it's Mike Yursich and Brian Hartline, who was promoted from interim receivers coach to full-time receivers coach. And on defense, it's the three new additions plus Larry Johnson on the defensive line. So that means four spots still are not officially announced yet. And they might go to guys who are here. And on the offensive side of the ball, that would be Tony Alford as the running backs coach, Kevin Wilson as the tight ends coach, co-offensive coordinator, and Greg Studrawa as the offensive line coach. And on the defensive side, that's Tabor Johnson as the cornerbacks coach. But none of those guys have been officially announced as returning. So I think that means that either... Ryan Day is investigating potential replacements for them, and maybe if he can't get some guys, he'll keep someone. Or some of those guys are looking at other jobs and seeing if they can get something else, and if they can get something else, they'll go. But right now, as we sit here, and we're going to try to run through all these changes to some degree, overall coaching staff right now, Stephen, when we think about the six guys that are in at the moment and the fact that they're basically wiping out the defense and starting over, good, bad, okay? What is your level of enthusiasm for the moves that Ryan Day has made so far with his assistants? I'm interested. A lot of the defensive coaches I think we all thought would be gone. I think the decisions he's made on the defensive end as far as the guys he's gotten, the fact that they're from Michigan is an interesting thing, I think, but, the, but still, they're pretty solid pickups. I think Madison's a huge pickup because this is a 42-year veteran in the co- in coaching period, whether it's the high school level, the NFL level, or the college, college level, and he's been the coach, either defensive coordinator or defensive line coach for a defense that's been one of the best defenses in the country like, the last eight years. The, one team scored over 30 points against Michigan this year, and it was Ohio State at home. I think that's a huge pickup. I think Mike Ukrich is a great pickup as well. From U- he's a Yursich. Yursich. I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize for Euclid. You, yeah, so that's why Yursich from Euclid. Yursich from Euclid is a huge pickup. I think he got guys from places where you would expect that side of the ball to already be solid. You got a guy from Oklahoma State who's from the Big Twelve, who's an offensive coordinator, one of the best offenses in the country while he was there. I think that's like he's gotten guys from places where. Okay, that makes sense that he got a guy from that conference where it, that side of the ball is already a pretty solid thing in that conference, if that makes any sense. I think <laughs> so. Uh, that Oklahoma State offense and the advanced stats, not just yards, but like actual production, um, was top ten in the nation in the last three years for him. He, he was a small school guy, Division two guy. People know that backstory to some degree. He worked at Shippensburg at the Division two level. That's a small state school in Pennsylvania. Um, 
and he was plucked out of there by Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State because they had the best offense at that level. And Mike Gundy said, I just I want a great offense. I'm going to look at a lower level and find the best guy. And he was the best guy. He's now been at Oklahoma State for six years. Um, and he's 43 and he's coming back to Ohio. So he has a lot. He has a really good reputation in a lot of ways. And I think that's a really smart hire. So I, I, I want to get into the other the defensive guys. But I want to do this. I want to run through everything. And then we'll get to your questions. But I want to run through everything that, ha- that has happened. So we don't miss anything. And so you guys have a, have a foundational idea of, of sort of what we're thinking about this team. Because um, there's a lot going on. And, and, and it's, they're trying to position themselves to win a national championship, like now. I think they have a set of players to do that. What has held Ohio State back the last couple years is coaching on both sides of the ball at different times. So I also want to get into the national championship game. You know what? Let's do that first, and then we'll get to the players. We're teasing you with the players and coaches. We're going to evaluate every move so far on how important it is to this Ohio State team on a scale of 1 to 10, from Justin Fields to Jeff Halfley. But I want to do this first. We're recording this the day after the national championship game when Clemson blew the doors off Alabama, although people have pointed out. I mean, you see the final score. There were some key turnovers. Um, Alabama didn't convert in some situations. It was – some things went Clemson's way. Tua had a couple bad picks. Um, Tua had a, a couple, like, major decisions that were just awful. I think, I think Brent Venables, who's the best defensive coordinator in college football for Clemson, like – did some things that tricked him, um, which happens sometimes, but that's a big part of why Clemson is good. So, so the one thing is, a lot of people all year, and when we talked about Ohio State, I, I kept saying things like they have a puncher's chance against Alabama because of Dwayne Haskins. What were the, you just called up the stats. What are Trevor Lawrence's final stats, the Clemson freshman quarterback? 20 for 32, 20 for 32 passing, 347 yards, three touchdowns with a 92.8 QBR. All right, so they put up 44 on Bama. Let's do that side of the ball first. Could Ohio State have done to Alabama what the Clemson offense did? Yes. I think the difference is Clemson's defense. Well, no, we're good. To oh, stay on the offensive side? Stay on the offensive side. Yes, 100%. Side right I you think... saw those Clemson receivers making one-handed catches on the sideline. You were just talking about their freshman receiver. You yeah. think it's a top five pick down the line. Yeah. The talent that Clemson had in the passing game, how did that compare, do you think, to Ohio State's passing game talent? Right now, Haskins and Trevor Lawrence are pretty much the same as far as talent level. Trevor Lawrence is also 19 years old and was in high school at – no, well, he was an early enrollee who had just started his first semester of college at this time last year while Haskins was here getting ready for spring football to win the job over Joe Burrow. But at this time, point in time, it's the same con- – they both got – Great NFL talent arms. Pretty much an NFL talent arm at your quarterback position and a solid group of wide receivers. Clemson is wide receiver you at this point, whether it's Sammy Watkins or Hopkins. They they breed wide receivers. I think the way Ohio State breeds defensive ends, that's the way Clemson has gone about things with the wide receiver position. Justin Ross is another guy. Him and Trevor Lawrence are going to be making a lot of money on Sunday in about two years when they can finally leave. That's the funny thing here. They got two more years of these guys because they're true freshmen. But I think offensively, Ohio State with K.J. Hill, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, Chris Olave, Mike Weber, J.K. Dobbins, I think offensively they had the talent to do this to Alabama. So, yeah, from an offensive standpoint, 100% Ohio State could have done to Alabama what Clemson did to Alabama. I want to I pull up the tweet because – what do you think Dwayne Haskins was thinking about last night? He declares for the draft 
Monday afternoon, and then he watches that game and goes out Monday did, night. And he goes, I didn't win a national, didn't get a chance to compete in the college football playoff, but I will win in the Super Bowl. Is that the tweet you're looking oh, yeah. for? Right Even now? though I didn't get a chance to play in the CFB playoff, best believe I'm gonna win a Super Bowl. He's definitely looking at that and going, man, I could definitely have done that. He absolutely had Cardo Jones him, did it. It had to drive him nuts. Like, didn't have to drive him nuts to watch Trevor Lawrence get all that praise on that stage and have that opportunity. And a thousand percent, Dwayne Haskins knows he would have done the exact same thing, if not better. I don't even. I think he knew he could have done that. I didn't think he realized how easy. He definitely was like, "Yo, I knew I could do it, but I didn't realize it was going to be that easy. Like I thought it would still be a game. Like, no, this was it. He what? Trevor Lawrence really didn't feel pressured. Like." At no moment in that game did you did you go, eh, yeah, that makes sense. He's 18. He's a freshman. He's a true freshman. You went, oh, my God, this is a true freshman, and he is picking apart Alabama secondary time after time after time. So, yeah, the guy who finished third in the Heisman race this year was definitely going, yo, I knew I could do this, but oh, my God, like, it's that easy? I thought that game – played out in a lot of ways like the Ohio State-Michigan game. Yeah. And that, that you had an idea in your head. Clemson and Ohio State were the two underdogs. You had an idea in your head going into the game. Boy, this is a good offense. This is a good quarterback. But, boy, this is a good defense, too. Will they be able to do it? It turned out, yeah. <laughs> Dwayne Haskins and the Ohio State offense, Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson offense, they did the same stuff against those teams that they did against everybody else. So uh, the idea of – I think after the semifinals, there was a lot, a lot of stuff with people about, you know, and I know there was a lot of stuff. We wrote about it. We talk, I talked about it. Ohio State fans tweeted about it. Could Ohio State have done what Oklahoma and Notre Dame did, which was Oklahoma got down huge against Alabama early, rallied a little bit, but was never really in that game. Notre Dame got its doors blown off by Clemson. And Ohio State looked at that, and their fans looked at that, and I think they were right and said, man, we could have done that. We could have, we could have competed with Clemson and Alabama at least as well as Notre Dame and Oklahoma. And then you watch that national championship game, and it turns out not only, I think, would Ohio State say, man, we could have competed as well as Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Dwayne Haskins is sitting there thinking, I would have sliced Mm -hmm. up Bama. And it's got to be driving him nuts. I was going to tweet this during the game, except at some point, there is a point where there are too many sarcastic annoying, smug tweets. And I've probably crossed that line three years ago. But I was going to tweet something like, when it was back and forth early on, and they were mm. both putting points up, Clemson and Alabama better start playing defense or the committee's not going to put them in the playoff. You know, because it was like <laughs> the idea of that's what was brought up so often with Ohio State and Oklahoma this year, that mm. battle of, well, their defenses are bad. Then it turns out like, okay, well, Alabama's defense looked like they couldn't do anything. Yeah. The whole game. So maybe it's just – the bad thing with the committee is a lot of stuff doesn't carry over because, again, there's a a different group of people each year. So much changes in college football each year. There's not a lot of carryover. I I think you think something's going to carry over. But to me what that game was like, that game said to me a little bit, listen. And I even think maybe as as Dwayne Haskins was sitting at home going, man, I could have done that. I thought maybe Greg Schiano was sitting at home saying, see – Nobody plays defense. What are you yelling at me for? Nobody can stop anybody when you're talking about the elite teams and the elite offensive players and the rule changes and the RPOs and all the things that you can't. 
and you got quarterbacks and you got receivers. Nobody can stop anybody, so get off of my jock. I'm not going to go that far because Clemson It's not still, my fault. Clemson still did hold Alabama to 16 points, and 13 of those came in the first quarter. So they, they, they didn't score in the second. Like, Clemson played defense, and I'm pretty, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, they were missing some guys who were starters because of – yeah, they missed they Dexter Lawrence on that de- that crazy defensive yeah, line. Yeah, so like some of that was their backups doing that to the number the team who's been the consensus number one team in the country for the entire season. So I'm not going to say no no one plays defense. I'm going to say I think Clemson is the most complete team in college football, and they proved it. But but the idea that like Alabama was the clear number one all year. Alabama is the standard bearer, and that performance by Alabama. Would have been evaluated, I think, on some level. Of course, the opponent, the opponent's better than Purdue, but like they got, they got Purdue, they yeah. got, they got brommed. And now again, the whole the problem for Ohio State was who did it to them. But the idea that that can be done to you, I think, is out there for anybody. Any defense. When you look at what happened to Michigan against Ohio State, when you look at what happened to Alabama against Clemson, when you look at what happened to Ohio State against Purdue, any defense on a given night. In this era, against good talent, whether it's Trevor Lawrence or whether it's Rondale Moore or whether, it, whether it's Dwayne Haskins, sometimes you get a 40 spot dropped on your head. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea that like that is unforgivable, I think, I think may be an antiquated notion because like this in an offensive world, it is hard to play 15 great defensive games. And so in a world where you're not only being evaluated on did you win, you're being evaluated on how did you win and did you give up too many points and was the game too close. Uh, that's the one thing I wonder about. If, yes, this was the national championship game and Clemson has more talent than anybody, but would it cause any reevaluation of the committee of we're going to look at defenses giving up points. And, and there's a difference between doing it every week and doing it sometimes, but we're going to look at a defense giving up points and realize this is the era. In some regard, and we're going to try to factor that into our evaluation, and not not um, give up on teams, or not have that be such a hurdle for them, because we realize it can happen to anybody. So we ha- we we stepped in it, we stepped that direction briefly. We agree, Ohio State's offense probably could have done what the Clemson offense did. One hundred percent. Could the Ohio State defense have done what the Clemson defense did? Not even even close. They would have put up forty four points, but they would have given up around forty points as well. And that's, and that's been proven. You see that in a Maryland game where literally it became, okay, offense, you got to keep scoring. 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 And I think after the Purdue game, it seemed like that's where Ohio State was. They were going to have an offense that was really good, but also was going to be on a, under a constant pressure of you have to keep scoring. You have to keep scoring because we don't know if our defense is going to show up today. I think – Ohio State might have lost that game to Alabama, doing the exact same thing. Like yeah. you said, that they might have put up forty-four. They might have lost forty-eight, forty-four. Yeah, because I, I don't know that. So Brett Venables and, and I don't want to spend forty hours on this. I'm on record about my thoughts on assistant coaches. College football assistants are paid too much. It's immoral to me in a world where. Players don't get paid that the middle managers are making a million dollars a year now where it's all about the head coaches and the players, and assistant coaches are interchangeable. Now, within that theory and that philosophy, over time, 
And this is why I didn't like Ohio State giving Ryan Day a million dollars last year when he had been here for one year. Brent Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator, has been there forever. He is the head coach of the Clemson defense. He is 48 years old. He's been Clemson's defensive coordinator since 2012. He could run any number of major college football programs right now. I assume he's on the Kirby Smart plan, which is stay in your awesome coordinator job at a national championship school, pile up rings, and go for the perfect job, and only the perfect job. And I don't know what that is for him. He coached at Oklahoma before he coached at Clemson. So maybe if Lincoln Riley didn't exist, maybe he would have gone to take over for Bob Stoops. So I don't know what that job is for Brent Venables. I'm not an expert on him. I have covered him twice because in this Clemson, remarkable Clemson run, two of their bowl wins have been against Ohio State. He, for the lack of a better word, and I don't think any assistant coach is worth the kind of money they're getting now. If anybody is worth it, he's worth it. And so the idea, he tricked Tua into a couple things. Mm-hmm. Both, both, and Kirk Herbstreit broke it down in the game. Both Tua picks, the pick six at the start and the deep ball later. He explained how that, Clemson in that moment dropped the coverage on Tua he wasn't expecting. I don't remember how many times this year Ohio State forced an opposing quarterback into a pick because they dropped the coverage they weren't expecting on him. Clemson's defensive line is ridiculous. Um, we knew that. All those guys came back instead of going to the NFL last year, so they lose Dexter Lawrence for the playoff and they don't miss a beat. That coordinator, I think, is the biggest difference between Clemson and Ohio State right now. That scheme, that way of attacking, and then it happened to be that this collection of Clemson defensive linemen, but, but Ohio State had the same, a similar collection of guys um, in 2017. That collection of guys with that coordinator made life very, very difficult in Alabama. And so the number one thing, and and I'm going to do something on this eventually. I retweeted this last night. It's a story I wrote last year about how Clemson took Ohio State's spot as the number two program behind Alabama in college football. Clemson is now everything you thought Ohio State would be. And I'll get you a stat here in a second. That's the number one thing. If I'm going to do a story on like what – is Clemson doing that Ohio State isn't? And I think you can get into a lot of philosophical stuff. Saban cycles through coaches and coordinators. They're there for a year or two and they go on to a job and you get somebody good and people have praised that when it works. Now, Clemson has managed to keep Brent Venables for 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Do people still count on their fingers? Not after they like hit like double-digit age. But if I'm, if I'm going to say someone has been somewhere since 2012, right? And I want to say how many years has that person been in their jobs? Can you do that without counting on your fingers? Yeah. You just so do. Brett Venable's first year as Clemson's defensive coordinator right. was 2012. How right. many years has he been there? This was his sixth year. That's 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. It's his seventh year. Ah, two, yeah. 2018 yeah, yeah. minus 2012 it. is six. Yeah, you got to add that But you got to count both, yeah. both the first year and the last year, which is why, Stephen. You got to you okay. count on your fingers. I if, mean, now you know that, though. So you just, do, you just do like the number minus the number, then add one. Or, hear me out, <laughs> you count on your fingers. I count on my fingers every day. 
Every day that I work, I'm doing something, some kind of mathematical stuff. And the thing I do a lot of too is like, yeah, even like Greg Madison started, Greg Madison's first year in coaching was 1976. I go 76, 77, 78, 79, 80. Oh, I'll do it 81, in there. 81, 82, 83, 85. That's 10. 95, 20, 2005, 30, 2015, 40, 16, 17, 18, 43. That was all fingers right there. Now, I didn't count the 43 on my fingers, but the basis of my mathematical skills in that moment was my fingers. I'll nod. I'll do the one, two. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Six. Because, like, I'm just not, I'm too old to be counting on my fingers. If you ever see me in McDonald's sipping on my ninth Diet Coke, you will, if you watch me for an hour in that time period, you will see me counting my fingers. You'll see me nod and mumble a lot. Like a crazy old man. Yeah. I'm working, though. I'm not just, like, sitting there, like, going crazy. We all have our different ways to do it. But tell me, tweet. (coughs) Man, I got to, like, 23 minutes before the first fit. Tweet us how you do your math. (laughs) Yeah, and to tell us if you count on your fingers still. Um, The two things to me as as I prepare to write why Ohio State is not Clemson right now, because it's not recruiting rankings. And, And when I... Clemson's recruiting classes have not been as good as Ohio State's. No. Ohio State's been number two to Alabama in recruiting. Overall, in the Urban Meyer era, Ohio State absolutely, positively, no doubt about it, is the second best recruiting yeah. program in the this nation. Is probably, Clemson's not. This is probably Clemson's like, best class like this past year. Of, in best, I mean, their numbers just— two of them, and one of them wasn't a five—like, Justin Ross wasn't a five-star guy, I don't believe. The, the numbers just aren't there. So, Justin Ross was a four-star guy. He was the number right. 45 overall player in the country. Um, this, they did get – so last year Clemson got the number one guy, yeah. Trevor Lawrence, the number three guy, Xavier Thomas, who's a defensive end, the number 14 guy, the number 17 guy, who was Jackson Carmen, who's going to start on the offensive line next uh-huh. year, was a backup this year as a freshman, the number 26 guy, the number 45 guy, who's Ross, the number 56 guy. So they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the top 56. So that's really good. And then the, like, they'll have the, the sixth best recruiting class coming in. Well, of early enroller guys now and then guys who will be on the team next But they're not number one. No. It's... They're not number one. So there's, there's, there's two things that I think have happened. One is an absolute stud coordinator that stayed. And so I don't know that you can emulate that. Um, it would be like if Chris Ash stayed at Ohio State and never left to be the Rutgers head coach or, or something like that. If Tom Herman – had stayed and never left, but I don't know what do you how do you I don't I don't know how you do that, and I don't I haven't read enough about it to know why Brent Venable stays. But Ohio State and and I remember this, and here's the other point of this: in 2013, when Ohio State played Clemson in the Orange Bowl, I wrote a story that Chad Morris was the offensive coordinator, and this is the other side of the coin. Chad Morris was the offensive coordinator for Clemson then. He was making a million dollars, and I was doing a story about million-dollar assistance. Tom, Tom Herman was making half a million then, and Chad Morris is gone. Chad Morris, early on in that, that Taj Boyd beginning of the Deshaun Watson era, yeah. Chad Morris was getting all kinds of credit. And Chad Morris left, first to be the coach at SMU, now he's the coach at Arkansas, and they're fine. So they had two awesome coordinators, Chad Morris and Brent Venables. One left, and they're fine. The other one stayed. So Ohio State, over time, over the Urban Meyer era, had coordinators who were as good as Chad Morris and Brent Venables. 
Tom Herman was that good. Chris Ash was that good. Ryan Day was that good. But they also had bad ones. Tim Beck and Ed Warner were not that good. Greg Schiano this last year was not that good. So it's that. It's that they didn't have enough Ohio State's assistant coaches across the board, coordinators, consistency in coordinators across the board has not been as good as Clemson's. And I can't remember the names of the guys. You don't care. But I I talked to the two Clemson co-coordinators at the Fiesta Bowl in 2016 when I was writing big Deshaun Watson stuff because I thought he might go to the Browns. I talked to both those coordinators one-on-one for half an hour. Sharp, smart dudes who have done a great job. One is coaching. And I think the number two thing, and it's not recruiting, but the number two thing of why Clemson has become what Ohio State hasn't is having an NFL quarterback. And they had three years of Deshaun Watson. Then they had Kelly Bryant for a year, and they went undefeated and were the number one seed in the playoff with Kelly Bryant. And then they moved on to Trevor Lawrence. So they're going to go from three years of Deshaun Watson to three years of Trevor Lawrence. And the one year in between, they were undefeated, number one in the playoff, and then lost Alabama. Imagine six years of Dwayne Haskins. And this, I don't want to turn this into a JT Barrett bashing podcast. But. But, but <laughs> much, you know, the big chunk of the Urban Meyer, four of the seven years in the Urban Meyer era, the starting quarterback for most of the season, or a chunk of the season, was JT Barrett. Yeah. And JT Barrett was not as good as Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Which so is- it's, it's the continuity of coordinators and it's an NFL quarterback. And I think that'll be interesting to see with Ryan Day now that he's the head coach. Will he make a decision like what Saban or Dabo's, Dabo did where Kelly Bryant, like Kelly Bryant went undefeated and was the number one seed in the college football playoff. They didn't win the national championship, but he was in – that was pretty – I mean, you should – your job security should be pretty safe at that point. And the same thing <clears throat> with Jalen Hurts. You win a national championship. You get back to the national championship game. Your job security should be pretty safe at that point. Well, you're not playing well in the national championship and you get pulled for the guy who's supposed to be the guy after you. And he throws one beautiful pass and now he's a Heisman finalist. And it's, then you lose the job in the spring all in entirety. The same thing with Kelly Bryant. You do all that and then you lose the job to a guy who was in high school four months before spring practice even started. I think that'll be interesting to see. Would Ryan Day make – we all know Urban Meyer would never have made a decision like that because he's a more loyal guy. Would Ryan Day make a decision like that? You know, if Justin Fields is going to be here for at least two years, if Justin Fields has some great year, a Heisman caliber year, but then Jack Miller gets here and in the springtime, would and he's clearly the better quarterback of the two, would Ryan Day make that decision to start Jack Miller even though you just had a hell of a season with Justin Fields? I mean, that's we, we've had variations of that conversation. It's the ruthlessness conversation. Yeah. Um, but part of it is you've got to have a, somebody in the pipeline who's better. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we've debated on this podcast, should Dwayne Haskins have played in 2017? Should he, he have replaced JT Barrett at the Oklahoma game? What will Ryan Day do going forward? But I think that is some explanation of the Justin Fields move. That, no offense to Tate Martell, I think Tate Martell can be a good college quarterback. He's not an NFL quarterback. No. Justin Fields might be an NFL quarterback. So if you think that's what you need, you need somebody – Tate can throw. If you think you need an elite thrower, you need an elite athlete and an elite thrower to really win it all, to not just win the Big Ten, but to win it all, I think Tate's ceiling is not elite thrower. I think Tate's ceiling is really good quarterback, good thrower, dual threat, can do a lot of things, can run your offense, 
but I think his, his ceiling is below Trevor Lawrence's ceiling. His ceiling is below Deshaun Watson's ceiling. His ceiling is below Dwayne Haskins' ceiling. Justin Fields' ceiling? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you look at a guy who's 6'3", 230, who can run and throw, who was the number two overall recruit in the country last year. His ceiling is in Trevor Lawrence, Dwayne Haskins, Deshaun Watson territory. In this situation, Tate Martell is the JT Bear, and Justin Fields is Dwayne Haskins, which is why I think in any other, I think Tate Martell would have had a better chance to win this job had Urban Meyer not retired. And and it's I th- I think it's possible. I think I mean Dwayne Haskins is partly circumstance, but also choice by Ohio State that they brought him in to begin with, um, and then he just obviously showed that he was the guy. But they, they even opened themselves up to a guy like that. And I think that was some evolution on Urban Meyer's part. But if Urban Meyer was evolving to that kind of quarterback, and listen, Ohio State tried to get Deshaun Watson too. Ohio State did everything they could to get Deshaun Watson. They're not, it's not like, I mean, if Deshaun Watson had yeah, been no, talent here, is still talent, but like. If Deshaun Watson had picked Ohio State, JT Barrett would have been the best backup quarterback in the history of the program. So they just didn't get Deshaun Watson. So it's not like they've been turning their back on those guys. But I think if, if Urban Meyer was evolving to that quarterback thought, Ryan Day is there. Ryan Day is all the way there. There's no evolution. That's where Ryan Day has lived. And so there's no, like, there's no tug of the past of like, well, we used to do it this way and I'm comfortable. And I was asking Urban questions all year about, is this still a little weird to you to have a quarterback ripping it, throwing like this who can't really run? And he admitted that it was kind of... He still wasn't quite used to it. Ryan Day's in. Ryan Day is all in. All right. Let's transition to Justin Fields now. So that's our Clemson-Ohio State breakdown. Yes, Ohio State could have won the national championship. Eight-team playoff, I don't know. Again, because that's the thing, too, is there's, there's the should they have been in the four-team playoff, but then there's the, you know, if an eight-team playoff existed um, and Ohio State would have been the sixth seed against – Three seed. Three seed Notre Dame. They beat Notre Dame. And then they're the two, then they would have played the Clemson. winner of Clemson. And UCF. Wash, well, no, Washington. Well, because if you have automatic bids, actually, and people have made that point, Michigan was the number seven team in the playoff yeah, ranking, but, you but they would the, not have made the you playoff. You would have put the Pac-12 champion so in. So Washington would have been the seven seed, so they would play the winner of Clemson-Washington. So they would have lost in the semifinal, <coughs> in my opinion. Unless they somehow – Unless they somehow could compete with that Clemson team, and again, I, I don't know. Like, it'd have been a fun, it'd have been a shootout. It'd I, have been a really fun. I shootout. think they would. I mean, like, two is great. Dwayne, I think, is a really advanced thinker as a passer, and I think Dwayne takes what's there. I think Tua. I haven't watched Tua all year. Tua forced some things last night. I don't know that Dwayne would have been as tricked by Brent Venables as Tua was, and that's not a criticism of Tua. I think Dwayne is an elite thrower. And a pretty elite thinker at this stage. I think Tua isn't as far along as we thought he was in like week two or week three is what it is. He's really good. He's great, but he's not necess- he's not nearly as far along as maybe like you thought he was in like week maybe after the LSU game where it's like, man, like okay, yeah. but like he's not nearly at that level yet. When he's going twenty two for twenty four or whatever. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, oh my god, and it's like eh. Alabama's right. better than everybody, so yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go. We're going to go through scale of 1 to 10, the, the moves that Ohio State has made so far. Um, and I'm going to put uh, a little, little columns here. 
You guys are reading Cleveland.com, right? Cleveland.com slash OSU. Follow us on Twitter at Stephen underscore memes at Doug Lamarie's at Buckeye Talk Pod. Reviews, welcome at Buckeye Talk on iTunes. We've got a boatload of interview, of, uh, of reviews. We're just never going to be a five-star podcast again. I don't think it's too <laughs> hard. We're like at 4.72 right now. Every now and then there's just a one-star or a three-star dropped in there. There's a bunch of five-stars in the mix, and we are grateful for every single one. But there's just uh, – we're just too uh, – we're too on the edge I think we to get need, enough five-stars. I think we need one, like, really, like, abnormally great podcast that would, like – us over the top. All right, let's plan that. Let's plan. We'll, we'll need, tell you when the abnormally great yeah. one is coming. Like we need a Warriors for third quarter type podcast. This is just an average great one. This is just your run of the mill great podcast. Yes. Yeah, no, it's we're down three to one. We just and we need a game five Cavaliers. That's literally what we need. We and need to both um, drop forty one one game. But here's the thing: in this scenario, I am Draymond, and I'm definitely going to like <laughs> kick someone in the nuts. And get ejected, and then you're going to have to try to do the podcast by yourself. (laughs) Then if I got ejected from a podcast for kicking somebody (laughs) in the privates. Sorry, man. Um, All right. The Justin Fields move. And I I think I want to rate this on, like, impact on the program. I think, and again, that's kind of a nebulous idea. But to me, that's what matters. It's not necessarily how good the guy is or how bad the guy is, but it's how much – it makes Ohio State a better program potentially, mm-hmm. or worse potentially, because of the move. So Justin Fields arriving. What's what's your scale on a one to ten of how big of a deal that is? I'm gonna go nine. I don't want to give out any tens because that just seems like an over exaggeration of things. I think it's a nine because one, it makes things very clear of like what you just have, what Ryan Day is willing to do. You know, he's willing. He wants an NFL type quarterback, and he went and got one. Like he went and got one. He's not. It's good. Now it'll be fun to see the competition between Tate Martell and Justin Fields. Even though we all know Justin Fields is most likely going to start, I think that. And there's no like off year. I think now they're right back in the situation where it's like, okay, let's go compete for a national championship. It's one of like Trevor Lawrence did it in his first year. Yeah. You want to know a secret? You know who the number one player in the class of 2018 was? It's Trevor Lawrence. You know who the number two player was? Justin, Justin Fields. It'll be fun to watch them two compete in the national championship this yeah. year. Oh, he's calling a shot. Oh, yeah, um, 100%. I'm, I'm for it right now. So, and I think there's questions like this. I know there's questions like this when we get to your questions. Um, like, who's going to win the quarterback job? Like, if you had to bet on it. I mean, I, I don't know how you could bet against Justin Fields at the moment. I'm probably a little less certain that he's going to be the guy. Just leaving room for, like, a super talented dude who just, like, takes a little while to get it, mm-hmm. which happens sometimes. Um, this is all a scene that the, the, the hardship does go through because right now it has not. So right now yeah. he's not playing this year. So this is, like, in a scenario where he is allowed to play this I don't think we're going to know. I think we're going to have a spring quarterback battle without necessarily knowing. Right. But Ohio State will have some idea, and we'll, we'll get to that. That's one of the questions. But I just I, – I would anticipate – that he will be eligible in 2019. So I'm going to give it an 8 just because – and potentially it could be a 20 out of 10. Like if this dude is yeah. Trevor Lawrence, if this dude is Dwayne Haskins, like right now, you go from, hey, you're probably the best team in the Big Ten again to you are absolutely a legit national title contender. Not that it would, that it would be impossible to be there with Tate, but it, you, there are just more things in play 
to get you over the top against the best of the best if Justin Fields is as good as he can be. Michael Jordan leaving. I'm going to go six. I think mainly because their line isn't as deep as maybe it should be right now. And I think losing a guy that I don't think anybody thought was going to leave, I think we all thought he was going to come back. So I think from a standpoint of just like number standpoint, that's a pretty big deal to like lose a – Lose someone in a position where you're already kind of scrambling to put things together. He didn't even play the position he's going to play in the NFL. He had to play. Like he played out of position. So I think, from a standpoint of how it affects them over the next 12 months, I think it's a huge deal that you lost a guy in a position where you're already without a lot of people. I'm going to change my Justin Fields to an 8.5 because I don't want to. I don't want to rank losing a guard the same as adding a potential game-changing program quarterback. Because I want to say Michael Jordan leaving is Nate, so I'm, I'm up in Justin Fields. So Justin Fields have ahead of to him. have the same like, like with it, like you know. I just I don't want I, I don't want someone to look at this if this goes into the podcasting Hall of Fame someday, and, and they have oh, this okay. sheet of paper, and they look back and they say, how could Doug ever think that adding Justin Fields was only equal? To losing Michael Jordan. Well, that's why I did nine and six because then it's like that's a kind of a spread. But I think it's. I, I, listen, they're down four starters in the off. They knew they had three seniors on the offensive line this year, so they knew they were losing those guys. Michael Jordan would have been the absolute anchor of that line. He would have been an All American at guard, and like get back to me next year when like Ohio State can't find a second guard. And if you assume that Josh Myers is going to be the center and Wyatt Davis is the starting guard on one side or the other. Um, you're leaning on Brandon Bowen, or you're leaning on like really young dudes. They only have 11 scholarship offensive linemen right now. Um, that is a big loss, especially when they were planning. Ryan Day and Greg Studrawa were both talking about this at the Rose Bowl in a way, and maybe that was just wishful thinking. It sounded like a plan at the time. Like, this is what's going to happen. Jordan back to left guard, Myers at center, Wyatt Davis is right guard. They might end up playing a true freshman at guard. Or they might end up leaning on Brandon Bowen again, who won a starting job at a guard spot two years ago, but has been dealing with a broken leg. I just think of, of all the departures, I mean, Dwayne is Dwayne, but that is a big one, and I think people need to understand how many question marks there are on this offensive line. We're making assumptions with guys like, like Davis and Myers that they're going to be good, and I don't think that's a bad assumption, but left guard and right tackle are wide open right now. And it's also very – Doug Nestor has not – he's still committed to Ohio State, but he hasn't signed yet. I think that makes that that much more important to go get a four-star offensive guard and bring him in here now because you just lost a guy that I don't think they were expecting to lose. Dwayne Haskins leaving. And, and I think the reason – like, no one's surprised, but let's think of this in the context of what if he had stayed? Uh, this is hard. This one's hard. All right, I'm a 10. Yeah, but like I'm a ten, like I'm a ten just because like he was amazing, and I wrote a story just how amazing he was. Literally, I compared his one year, his first year numbers as a starter under Urban Meyer to Braxton Miller and JT Barrett's first year as a starter under Urban Meyer. I didn't include Cardell Jones because he just doesn't have a full season of a body of work in order to show that, so I didn't include him in that. He was better than both of them combined in a lot of areas. They threw more passes than he did combined, but he completed more often. They're very close in yards and everything. So from a standpoint of just how good he was at being a quarterback, it's a 10. Guess what just happened? What? News. Breaking news. Oh. K.J. Hill is coming back.
back. And actually, the phraseology on this, and I've had someone point this out to me, he is actually staying. Because coming back implies that he left and then came back. He's just staying. But K.J. Hill is staying. K.J. Hill is staying. First, I would like to thank Coach Urban Meyer for giving me a chance to be a Buckeye. I have to put on my reading glasses. Hold on. It was by far some of the best moments in my life. With that being said, and with the guidance and mentorship of Chris Carter and my family, I have decided to take one last ride with my brothers, my coaches, and you Buckeye Nation. I'm ready to help land us, help lead us to another national championship. I will be returning for my senior year. That is not what I expected. So that's two surprises for me um, this year. I thought Michael Jordan would stay, and he left. I thought K.J. Hill would go, and he's staying. K.J. Hill is staying. That receiver room is now Ben Victor, Austin Mack, K.J. Hill. I've talked to K.J. Hill extensively at the Rose Bowl, just the two of us, about this. His high school coach told me during the year that he thought K.J. should stay. Um, And when I talked to K.J. at the Rose Bowl, he said, yeah, he told me that too. Um, I thought he would go, though, but this is really good news. This, This is really good news for this offense This guy, I think, has been the most underrated player on the team the last two years. Um, And if he's back, that that changes the game a little bit for whatever quarterback's coming in. He's the most – he has the best hands on the team. He's a playmaker. Um, This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Especially since you're losing three – your three best wide receiver – well, not best, but three seniors at wide receiver position. And pretty much you were coming back to Ben Victor and Chris Olave as your two leading guys. Now you had another guy who was a part of a foursome that – had the the best force the best force in Ohio State history as far as wide receivers are concerned. But now you bring back KJ Hill. Austin Mack hasn't said anything yet, but I'm pretty sure he's probably going to come back along with Chris Olave and Ben Victor. Now you and then you add Garrett Wilson to that. They've got a pretty solid wide receiver core now. We're going to take a little break and write this and be back. All right, we're back from the KJ Hill news. KJ Hill staying. Um, let's finish the Dwayne thing. Dwayne, I said as a ten. Dwayne leaving. If Dwayne stayed. I think they might be the favorite to win the national championship next year. I mean, that guy is. Have you? I mean, that guy is as good of a college thrower as we've seen, and it felt like it's still the offense with everything they wanted to do still really only came together in the last month. Um, it wasn't perfect early on. They were putting up some big numbers, but you look at the Purdue game, the forty-nine in the, in the Purdue game is a problem. So is the twenty. Um, you look at the Penn State game; they had trouble getting the offense going until he hit on some screens. In the fourth quarter, so if you ca- if he somehow came back with all that experience and what he and Ryan Day sort of figured out together with this offense, and they'd still have a great back of J.K. Dobbins, and they still have receiver options, they have a young line. But I mean, if if he was back, you'd be talking about is Ohio State going to go undefeated? Are they the best team in the country? And he's not back, and they're going to be good, but they have a quarterback battle. Yeah, I put a hot take out there that uh, Ohio State and Clemson might be in the national championship next year, and I was just more of a fun hot take. I don't. I think they would be on a collision course with Clemson if he did come back. More importantly, I think he's your favorite for the Heisman Trophy next year. Um, I'm not going to give it a ten. I'm going to give it a nine point five. Um, simply in the point five is simply because of what they landed on. I think. I'm not saying Fields is anywhere near as good as Haskins is, but you got the number two quarterback and the number two player in the country from that class, and the guy who was ahead of him just won the national championship 24 hours ago. So I think that because of how they landed, they landed a little softer than they would have had 
but just back it on Tate Martell. If, if the battle would have been between Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin, then yeah, this is a 100% 10. Oh my God, just because of the guy who's replacing him. I think now, because of what you landed on, it's a little bit softer of a blow. Um, I am really curious to see. I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of expectation for Justin Fields, and I don't know if we're overestimating him or underestimating him or the dude's got talent um maybe he just comes in and is like they don't miss a beat and like he's not the same as Dwayne Haskins no. but in his own way he's just as effective I think it's I don't even I don't even I wouldn't call it an overestimation or an underestimation it's just the when you rated him the guy who was rated ahead of him just won the national championship so if you're saying that there's only one guy better than you and the guy that was better than you won the national championship, then at the very least, you should be able to be the starting quarterback and lead a team down a path where they're at least competing for one. I think it's worth it more. I think Trev- what Trevor Lawrence was able to do this year kind of helps with his expectations because in anything, if you can say the one guy better than you is the guy who's better than everybody else, then, like, I mean, you can't be that far off. What's your number? 9.5. All right. Let's get to KJ. KJ Hill staying. What's your number for how big this is for the offense? Nine. Really? Nine. Yeah. Because you're losing I, I you're losing the three three guys who helped who are part of a four man group that just said Records and made history at Ohio State. Now Haskins had a lot to do with that. A lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're listen, we're not like downplaying what he was able to do. But I think you bring back some experience with a group that Austin Mack, was, he played a lot last year, but then he got hurt, so he missed out on a lot. Ben Victor, I think, hasn't necessarily been as good as like I think people expected him to be. Chris Olave is still just a sophomore. Garrett Wilson is probably the most talented wide receiver on this team now after I watched the All-American game and saw some of the catches he was making. Wow. But... He's still just a freshman. He's a true freshman. I understand a true freshman. Two true freshmen just dominated the national championship game, but he's still a true freshman, and there's still going to be a learning curve at some point this season. I think if you can bring back one of the four guys who was a part of a historic wide receiver core, that's going to be huge as far as from a leadership standpoint. So, yeah, I think that's huge, especially when you're also dealing with no matter who's your quarterback, he's going to be a first-year starter. And I think Haskins was great. Haskins played a huge role in while those numbers were like that, but they also helped with the fact that Haskins was still a first-year starter. So the fact that he had a a experienced senior group at the wide receiver position, I think that also helped as well. I think now it's going to be a little different. K.J. Hill is the most experienced guy, and no matter who your quarterback is, he's going to be a first-year starter. So it helps at the it helps at H back because um, they lose Paris Campbell and KJ Hill were the two leading receivers on the team last year. They were both H backs. They shared that spot. Um, and I know that like at the Rose Bowl, a lot of the Washington guys are talking about Ohio State out of the slot will kill you, and they did. If you would have lost both those guys, I, I don't know what they were going to do there. I think they're going to continue to rotate receivers. Demario McCall has gone back and forth a lot. Uh, it seems like he's settled in the receiver room, but I thought if K.J. Hill left, they might have to put DeMario Call back at H. And all of a sudden, DeMario McCall and Jalen Gill, who redshirted this year as a, in his first year in Columbus, would be your two H-backs. <clears throat> now, you're in a world where I think what you're going to see on offense is the H-backs are K.J. Hill and Jalen Gill. Hill and Gill make a T-shirt. 
And I think J.K. Dobbins is going to be your number one back, and I think Demario McCall is going to be your number two running back. Maybe it's like a third down running back, and I don't think we're going to see – we're not. We're not going to see the kind of rotation they've had the last couple years with Dobbins and, and Weber. Dobbins is going to be the lead back. Dobbins is going to get 22 carries a game. But Demario's your wrinkle. Demario's your third down out of the backfield. Do some other stuff with him kind of guy. So KJ, I think, frees you up to put other guys probably in the positions they are most comfortable in. Um, and then I think your four top guys on the outside, and they have to, some maneuvering to do here because I think maybe naturally Austin Mack, Ben Victor, and Chris Olave might all play the same position, but they've got to get the two receiver positions worked out. But Austin Mack, Ben Victor, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson, uh, I think very possibly are your top four outside receivers because you lost. So you got Jalen Gill basically replacing Paris Campbell in the slot, and you've got Olave and Wilson replacing Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin because Olave had replaced Mack, but whatever. So um, that really helps because they're a little young behind that. You've got Jalen Harris in that room who hasn't done much yet but still has a lot of potential. You have Elijah Gardner in that room who is kind of a low-ranked guy, sort of a flyer as a recruit. I don't know what he'll do here. Uh, And then you have first-year guys like Cameron Babb, Blue Smith, um, and then incoming guys besides Garrett Wilson, you have Jamison Williams. So that it, it's uh, Cameron Babb was a really highly, highly rated guy, so he could do something too. Um, but K.J. Hill settles the H-back spot, but also I think just allows you to maybe set up your room in a little bit of a better way. So K.J.'s at nine. I'm not quite there on K.J. Just because I think, I think you would have been okay figuring it out. And I'm going to make K.J. like a 7.5, and I don't mean to downplay the guy that I think has absolutely been the most underrated guy on the team the last two seasons, um, but Dwayne is what made it go, right? And KJ's going to be really good. I think they would have figured it out one way or the other, um, and it's still going to be mostly about Fields or Martell or whoever's throwing it, um, but obviously you take it a 1,000 times out of a 1,000 that KJ Hill is back. Um, let's run through these last ones a little more quickly because they're all guys from a player standpoint who are staying Jordan Fuller, staying at safety. I'm gonna make that like I'm gonna make that like a seven. Yeah, I was gonna say seven. You're gonna say seven. Yeah. I mean, I thought Jordan Fuller was really good as a sophomore. wasn't as good as a junior. Uh-huh. I think that was coaching as much as anything. Um, again, they have some options back there. I think they really like Josh Proctor, who played on special teams as a freshman this year. If you would have had to play Proctor and Brendan White back there together, you still have Isaiah Pryor. You still have Amir Reap. You still have Jocelyn Wint. You still have some guys floating around. Um, Fuller is definitely better, and and I would you might I might up this seven if Jordan Fuller plays like an All American, which I think he could. I just don't know that he did this year. Uh, but he's a really good guy. He's a really smart guy. I think he's well liked. He's a leader. He's a just like a natural guy in the locker room uh, who has a natural confidence. Um, and this, but the safeties this year weren't great, and I think the safeties would get better anyway. And I think Brendan White would have been ready to like be your leader at that safety spot if Fuller left, but it's nice that he's here. I think Jeff Hathley's like – I think it's a seven because he wasn't necessarily as good as I think people thought he was going to be. And I think he knows that, and which is why he's back. He knows it. Jeff Halfley is the guy who's going to be running the DBs next year. Um, I think it's huge that he's got a guy who's he's, – he's he knows who his safeties are going to be at least. And there's not going to be this like, okay, who's the other starting safety for you know, the first seven weeks of the year. You know it's Brendan White and Jordan Fuller. Those two are your safeties right now. And I think that's a, a huge deal, especially for a team where Alex Grinch – they didn't find their second safety until 
Nebraska, and they fell into it because Jordan Fuller got ejected into from the game in the first half. So they randomly had to throw Brendan Wright out there, and he had a breakout game. Had Jordan Fuller not been ejected, Brendan White might have never seen the field this year. So I think the fact that you're coming into a season where at that position you know who your starters are going to be, that helps. I think Jeff, well, it'll be interesting to see what Jeff Halfley can do with that, those DBs. Ben Victor. Yeah. Like a four. Yeah. No, I'm not. It's like it's not to criticize anybody, but he's fine. But they would have someone. Jalen Harris could do it. Yeah, like he didn't. He's not done enough to where like you like him staying or going would have had any like real impact. Now he might prove me wrong and next year have some all conference type season. But it's I don't no, think he will. Yeah, I don't think he will. <laughs> like I mean, he's, which is like, fine. The way he talked to me, he did, he feels like he is. But obviously, when you win a Big Ten championship and you're hype off emotion, then everybody thinks they're going to do really well. But I don't think he's done enough yet to really. I mean, okay, we're happy to have you, but there's no, like, if you would have left, we would have, you know, okay. I just won a Cane's sauce. How do you win a sauce? Instant winner on my cup. I feel like a sauce is not a prize. No, like, you can't eat sauce. Like, it goes with something. And I don't even, that's an odd thing. It's like winning ketchup. And I know it's, like, everyone loves the Cane's sauce. Yeah, but, like, it. On the chicken finger, like not just like no one's just eating sauce. I think I've won a single finger before, like a single chicken <laughs> finger. Hey, that's that's funny though. <clears throat> Which I would take. That's it. Yeah. Like you drive up and like, could I get one finger? Here's my coupon. Here's my free coupon. I mean, it's food. Like that's not food. I want a sauce. I'm not sure about that. If Keynes wants to sponsor the podcast, I, I will no say that winning with that winning the sauce is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. At the moment, I'm a little I'm confused. Eh. Instant winner. Instant winner. You just want a cane sauce. Doesn't that, seem right. They used to be fun when McDonald's did it with Monopoly. I don't know if they still. You read the story about that though, right? It was yeah. all rigged. Yeah, of course it was. So it wasn't that fun. We were all getting well, squirted yeah, but by when, McDonald's. I was like five, so like, oh my god, hopefully I win a million dollars. You don't have no. I had no. You idea had no shot, five year old no. Steven. <laughs> no. <laughs> like some guy was his, giving it to his friends. Yep. So what? You're a four on Ben Victor, also. Yeah. Well, no, I'm gonna go two. Oh, you're so mean. God, you're critical. Damn. Malik Harrison, last one of the players. He was the best linebacker on the team this year. Eight, because I think he might – like, I think he has a chance to be one of the best linebackers in the country. <coughs> I'm high on defensive guys coming back for a defense who didn't necessarily play well, and a lot of that had to do with coaching. It's interesting to see what the coaches this year are going to do with that talent. So I'm a little higher on defensive guys coming back than I am offensive guys because, well, Ryan Day is an offensive head coach, and I'm not going to be surprised if the offense is – runs really, really well. What's going to be interesting to see if the defense is any better now that it's a lot of the same talent with a different person at the head of it. So I'm a little more interested to see how the defense is going to be than the offense. Two things. One thing is I'm going to write a story about how I think like there might be like a lot of defensive starters back. It doesn't mean they're going to start. No. that's They got some decisions to make. I'm very curious to see some of these uh, some of these like 2018 recruits, some of those 2017 recruits still, but like, you want to throw a name I kind of want Tarada Mitchell to start at linebacker. And I kind of want Tarada Mitchell to be the starting middle linebacker. And I kind of want Baron Browning to move outside. I really want Baron Browning to move outside. And so I think a world where, like, you, if you said who are the starting linebackers this year, they did rotate sometimes, but it was Tough Borland, Pete Warner, and Willie Harrison. They're all going to be back. Yeah. I think maybe Tarada Mitchell and Baron Browning should be two of the three starting linebackers next year. And then Malik, well, and Malik, Malik Harrison on the other side. 
and then situational substitute some of the other guys. Okay. Well, then let's let's play a game. So, like, to me, so if you would have lost Malik Harrison, I think you would have had, it's like, okay, well, we just put Baron Browning out there. Yeah. And then now Baron Browning and Pete Warner are two outside linebackers. All right. Well, let's play a game a little bit. <coughs> We've got Jordan Fuller. I'm a six on Malik Harrison, by the way. Okay. Jordan Fuller and Malik Harrison on the defensive side so far of guys who have decided to leave. Nick Bosa. Decided to stay, right. Yeah, start to stay. I'm sorry. Um, which are those two starters, like in your opinion? Jordan Fuller definitely is. Okay. Malik so, Harrison definitely is. All right. so I think they, like, they're both definitely starters. But I think they could have found some guys who are ready to play if they had left. I think Josh Proctor might be ready to play. So if Jordan Fuller left, I think Josh Proctor might start next year. If So you're the opposite of me. You're not as like, eh, I mean – where I'm more like I'm just interested to see what this talent can do with better coaching. While no, you're I more am. Like a... It's a combination. Okay. It was definitely a combination last year, but but I wouldn't say it was not like it's not like Jordan Fuller and Malik well, no, Harrison no, I'm were not part of the problem. All, Amer- all no. American because they got brand new coaches or anything. But but I do think like when we get there, we're still waiting on two cornerback decisions. I think they could get better um, if some of those corners leave, and that's not any offense to them, but I think. Jeffrey Okuda needs to play more snaps than any corner on the team next year. I think Seven Banks needs to play next year because everybody's talking Seven Banks up. And so to me, there's an opportunity out there where you could bring Sheffield and Arnett back and you have the same three-man corner rotation with Arnett and Sheffield starting and Okuda in that three-man rotation next year because all three guys would be back. Okuda's that would be a mistake, Okuda's in my opinion. a lot in that Rose Bowl. So, I mean, and Kendall Sheffield played well in the Rose Bowl too. Yeah. But, but I think that was confident um, – Mostly confident Jeffrey Okuda in the scheme and in himself. Yeah. And I think at times he wasn't that this year. Like kind of, and then again, not, not necessarily his fault. Um, but, and I've said this before, there's a, you know, there was a coach who said one time, like, well, you guys have a lot of starters back. And he was like, is that a good thing? If you're, okay, so they, they lost Nick Bosa and they're losing Draymond Jones. Potentially they could bring back every other starter on that defense. Is that a good thing? That defense? Okay, they're getting rid of Greg Schiano and Bill Davis. But is that a good – do you want – do you want nine of the same 11 starters? Not if that's not the best option. Is it – but do you think it is the best option? Do you think the best option for this defense is in, to start all the same guys? In some positions, yes. In other positions, not some – I think corner, not so much. I think safeties, yes. Um, I think linebackers, one of them, yes. I'm not so sure about the other ones. But and then I think the corners are a little questionable. I think there's guys. That, I think they have young defensive ends who need to play. I think they have young defensive tackles who need to play. Teron Vincent needs to play. Tommy Togia. Yeah, needs but to a lot play of the defensive ends are gonna, like the defensive ends will get opportunities. They will, but like, are we sure Jonathan Cooper should start next year? No. So I mean, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to call guys out. I'm just no, saying no, I'm, nobody I'm would say that defense. Would, everybody agrees. Here's the thing that sometimes in the abstract it's easy to say the defense wasn't good enough. All right, well, they're really – what's the defense? The defense is 11 dudes coached right. by five dudes. It's 11 starters and then maybe five or six other guys working in, coached by five dudes. So you can't have a better defense without changing some of the people. And I don't – might, they might end up changing four of the five defensive coaches. Is that enough? So, okay. Or they got to find more talent. I said all year I thought their defensive talent was a half step down. You can't bring back nine starters from a defense that didn't have enough talent. All right, well, I'm, in my, there's three guys who are like, all right, yeah, they're starters. 
on that defense. That no four. I'll say four: Brendan White and Jordan Fuller, Malik Harrison, and then Chase Young. Those are guys where you're like, oh, okay, your job is pretty. Yeah, I don't safe. know if I'm hundred. I don't know if I'm there with Brendan White. Brendan White played well in the second half of the year. I don't know if I'm at a place where like there's no competition there. I want to see what Josh Proctor and maybe some mm-hmm. of these other guys can do. But I, but generally, I don't think I disagree with that. I think I'm there with you. I think I'm, that, that'd be the only one. I think with Harrison and Fuller and Chase, I think you're right. And I yeah. think then the other defensive end spot, the two tackle spots, the other it's two like, linebacker spots, the two it. corners. And that's the thing. It's, it's easier to do now because it's new. You're going to have new defensive coaches right. who don't know these guys. So they're going to Ryan Day's in charge, and Ryan Day can get up there and say, listen, we have competition every year. But we are really wiping the slate clean. And I do not care what you did last year. We are starting the guys who show up in, this, in spring practice, who work their butts off in the summer, and who show up in August. And, and that that's does, who we're putting on the field. And that doesn't just go for the defensive side. That's also offensively. It's just on the d- defensive side. It's a little bit just because of how bad the defense was this year. Yeah. I mean, the offense did its job yeah. most of the time, and the defense didn't. So – there's plenty of – I mean, there, we're, we're – and we'll move to coaches now. We're here. We criticize Greg Schiano and Bill Davis and all those other guys. Um, and the, the high, highly paid adults deserve the criticism more than the unpaid amateur teenagers. But um, I think there are players on that defense that either need to, A, play better, or, B, give way to other guys who can play better. All right. Let's get to the – Coaches. Alex Grinch leaving. How big of a deal is that on a scale of 1 to 10? Five. <clears throat> I think there are people who would tell you that's like an eight. Really? I think some people really liked Alex Grinch. Yeah. He seems to have a good reputation with national writers. Which is, I mean, you can have a great reputation, but like I've, I didn't see that as like, I didn't see anything working. And I didn't, even when he was at Washington, it didn't seem like all that impressive. To me, where it was like, oh my God, this is a big deal that he's leaving. I was kind of shocked that, well, no, I'm, knowing what I know now, I'm not shocked that he decided to go get a job where he's the lone defensive coordinator and he's the only brain trust in the room. But I'm not, I mean. So it just didn't work here. No. Um, I mean, he was a big deal at Washington State. He was highly praised. It was a big time hire when they got him. Um, he's supposedly making $1.3 million at Oklahoma, which is a ton of money. I think all we can judge him on is that the safeties didn't play that well. The safeties were his position. Um, and I think he thought he was going to get to call the defense here, and he didn't. So, I, you know, I think maybe there was some kind of weird stuff maybe that was going on, but um, I'm fine with it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like a three because he's a genius, but then Jeff, Hathley, Jeff Hathley's a genius, according to people. So, like, that's – he if, – if you want to tell me that Brent Venables and Ryan Day and guys like that – fly in the face of my contention that assistant coaches are interchangeable, I understand your point. To me, Alex Grinch exactly proves my point. And I wrote that the other day. Made 800000 bucks here this year for what? And guess what? He left and they replaced him and everybody's talking about how good his replacement is. Yeah. So I don't care. It's, not a, it's nothing personal against Alex Grinch, but just like most of us in life, you are replaceable. No offense. It's just a reality. I'm replaceable. Steven's yeah, replaceable. Most of us are replaceable. I wouldn't say you're replaceable. Most of us are replaceable. Listen, if, I, if they whacked me tomorrow, you won't even remember my name. There'd That's be somebody true. else in here. We'd miss you. Bill Landis would be back, and they'd be like, thank God we're <laughs> done with that guy. Um, all right, so you're a five on Grinch. I'm a three. Greg Schiano. 
the impact of him leaving versus and here's the thing like I think we can sit here now and be like well of course he was going to get her Ryan Day got rid of Greg Schiano and Bill Davis like of course he did you know what like it seemed like the thing to do it seemed like it was what was going to happen if we were sitting here today and Ryan Day was announcing you know what I believe in these coaches. They oh are fine God. leaders of young men. We did not play to our standard next year, but I believe that these are the right guys to fix it. We have retained our entire defensive coaching staff. Like, I didn't think that was impossible. I didn't think that was. I didn't think it's what was going to happen. Or I certainly thought they could get rid of Bill Davis and keep Greg Schiano. I did not think it was like a hundred percent sure thing that Greg Schiano. Former college head coach, former NFL head coach, would be dumped from his coordinator position by a 39-year-old dude doing it for the first time. I did not think that was a guarantee. So as we sit here and think about the difference of Shiano's gone versus if, if that had happened, what's the impact that the decision was that he's gone? Seven. Okay. I think on paper, I think they replaced him with a pretty quality guy in, in Madison, in Greg Madison. <laughs> Something about those Gregs, that defensive coordinator. I think it is Greg and Doug. I was almost named Greg. That was the other name that was in the in the book for me. And there is something about um, a middle aged white guy named, with, with like four a, letters for his name. Four letters with a g, <laughs> with like a g. You're like a g. You're like a bleh. I don't know whatever the, the, the consonant vowel combination is the, at the beginning and the middle, but it ends with guh. And the personalities are all the same, too. Guh. I'm a guh. Hey, guh. Guh. Hey, guh. Like, we have a guh club. So maybe you're a guh, and that's okay. But guhs, I don't know. Like, I mean, could I be a, don't, couldn't Wait, I be a defensive coordinator? Is your name Doug, or is it fully gu- Is it Douglas? It's Douglas. Okay. Well, you never know. Some people just go with the it's story. True. So you never know. So, guh. So I'm a good. So I'm a qualified to analyze good. So you're a seven. I'm a. I'm a. Seven also. It's hard because we're going to get to Greg Madison in the goods. Continuing the good discussion. Like, like getting rid of Greg Ciano, I think was good. But you got another old guy in there. And it's not ageism. It's not ageism. But. I don't know if how many people were beaten down the door for Greg Madison to be there for defensive coordinator. So we'll get to Greg Madison. But I think, I think it is a difficult – you know what? I'm going to change mine to an eight because the bottom line is like you, you sort of have to evaluate the move separately. So the idea that it's not Greg Schiano I think is good. I think this team and this fan base needed a change. And there are times – I mean, and this would not be change for change's sake because they sucked. So it's not and they, it's not like random change. It's like you did a bad job. You lost your job. And Chase Young even said this. At times they overcomplicated some things, and when they simplified things, things got better. So you, you needed that. You needed to switch that. So I think it's a pretty big thing, and it was just – it was uh, interestingly coincidental to me that – Basically, at the very moment that Ohio State was sending out the news release yesterday about hiring Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley, at the exact same moment, Dwayne Haskins tweeted that he's leaving. <coughs> and it was like, the people who helped screw up your thing are gone, and the guy who helped save you on the other side is also gone at the exact same time. So it was sort of like the best of and worst of Ohio State's 2018 season 
changing at the exact same time, one that was necessary and one that you were sort of had your fingers crossed at the 0.1% chance he was going to stay. Bill Davis leaving. This is the last out of the coaches so far. Bill Davis leaving is a what? I mean, it's a 10. It's a 10 for me. I, I, and we can get into this now. No. People, people want to hear me talk about this. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to let you have your like, little rant off. Go ahead. So, and we'll get, There's some questions about this later, but I'll get to some of them now, I guess. So listen. I don't mean to put an assistant coach in the crosshairs all the time, but I'm very cognizant of, of what I feel like are unqualified guys showing up here at Ohio State and getting a boatload of money to determine the lives of these players and this fan base. And it's really only been two guys in my time here that really got me riled up about stuff. And they were Tim Beck and Bill Davis, and both of them lasted two years, and they were gone. Um, so would, would you say that I won? Would you say that I have never yet been fired from a job? Would you say that I stand here proven correct? I'm not going to say that. If you want to say that, you can say that. Bill Davis was a very nice guy, I think, as it turns out, who was not very good at coaching college football. And I think he knew that in the end. I think he knew he wasn't a right fit in the college game. He's going to go get a job in the NFL just like Greg Schiano. But the difference is Greg Schiano was a lifetime college coach who then went to the NFL. Now who's going to go back to the NFL. Bill Davis was 24 years in the NFL, had never coached college, had never recruited college. I think it's the worst hire of the Urban Meyer era. There were consequences. It was made worse by the fact that he was replacing an energetic recruiter and loyal Buckeye and Luke Fickle, who was a college coach through and through. The contrast was stark, my friends. And so we'll get to Al Washington, but just that idea enough is part of it. I think they have a college coach now coaching their linebackers instead of an NFL coach. So Bill Davis sent out a note on social media today thanking Buckeye Nation. It was a classy note. I was glad that people seemed to respond to it with like a good luck coach. Nobody was ripping him. He did a bad job, and I think he knew it. And I think he knew it. And of anybody, he had to go. And I know it has been suggested to me by some people like, did this help nudge Urban Myers? Like, do you want to fire your friends? You want to fire your friends? That's super fun to do. I mean, you shouldn't hire your friends. And then you won't have to fire your friends. That's true. And, and that's the thing, too. It's like, Bill, you know. It's for us real business. Nobody else was banging down the door for no other top 10 college programs are banging down the door on Bill Davis. So I'm not, I understand that people hire their friends, but your friend should also be someone that could have plausibly been hired by a similar program of, of the similar stature. That, hey, if. If the coach at Georgia had never met Bill Davis, but he knew his resume and he talked to references and he met him and talked to him, would that guy have said, you know what, I'm hiring Bill Davis. All right, so then then he's your friend, fine. That would not have happened. He only was here because he was Urban Meyer's friend. So again, to wrap up, nice guy, absolutely from day one the wrong fit here. Doug, 100% right on this and we're gonna. I'm gonna. I don't mean to have. Again, it's been four years now of having it because I went from Tim Beck in 15 and 16 to Bill Davis in 17 and 18. Zach Smith was in there too, and and just not only because of the stuff he did, but just being a a jackhole in a lot of ways and uh, being what I thought was not a very good receivers coach. Um, also, personal relationships. I'm wary of the personal relationships. Ryan Day is hiring some friends here. Yeah, Ryan Day is hiring some friends. Al Washington's a friend too. He worked. He knows Al Washington and Jeff Halfley really well. So, 
Like, but Al Washington also got a job at Michigan based on merit. Jeff Halfley got a job in the. Okay, so but Jeff Halfley doesn't. He was at Rutgers and Pitt. So listen, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to preemptively look for the next assistant coach that like I have it out for who becomes a podcast topic because I don't have it out for anybody. I am on alert for people who I don't think are qualified for the job they have. And I will tell you the person that I'm, I am on alert for. I'm going to have an open mind about it. But if you had to ask me right now who's the guy on this staff right now who takes Bill Davis's place, I'll tell you who that is in a second. Um, so they're both tens that he's gone. Mike Yersich in. Mike Yersich in Oklahoma State Offensive Coordinator. How big is that for this program? Nine, in my opinion. I think what he was able to do at Oklahoma State is amazing. Now he's going to have the number two quarterback in the country. He's going to have Brian Day, who is another offensive mind, who is very op- who seems very open to do anything with this offense in a way that Urban Meyer didn't necessarily seem to be in his final years here, I think that's a huge get to go get a guy who is coming from a – I'm going to keep saying this. The Big 12 is known for its offense. Its defense is awful. Dwayne Haskins out Big 12 the Big 12 a lot of times this year in the Big 10. I think now you've got an offensive coordinator who spent – the last few years of his career in the Big 12, putting up historical numbers at Oklahoma State, I think bringing that here combined with the offensive firepower Ohio State already has, adding a the number two quarterback from, the, from his class, the only quarterback who was better than him was Trevor Lawrence <clears throat> from the 2018 class, I think that's a huge get. I think that's the best get he's got so far outside of Brian Hartline. <coughs> I think I agree with everything you said. Plus, he's from Euclid. Um, Al Washington in. I'm going to give that like a, I'm going to give it like a seven and a half, almost an eight. And I'll say, it, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but you you talk to people who know, you read people. Uh, really good reputation as a recruiter, and I'm very uh, I, to to replace Bill Davis with someone who is a young, energetic, sharp recruiter with Ohio ties is huge. Um, He's coached all over the place. He was a defensive tackle uh, when he played, which is what Luke Fickle was, and then Luke Fickle became a linebacker's coach. Um, Al Washington was the running back's coach at Boston College when Ryan Day was the quarterback's coach. Then he switched to the defensive side of the ball. In his career, he's coached running backs, defensive line, linebackers, and special teams. He's going to be the linebacker's coach here. Um, recruiting is number one. I think, he's, I think he's a home run on the recruiting front for this, for this staff, and it's absolutely what they needed. Uh, they also need to develop linebackers. And so to hire a guy who's really young and has not always coached linebackers, um, I'm curious. I'm on, I'm on watch for it, but I'm 100% – like in favor of this hire, and I think it is a monumental step up from Bill Davis in terms of recruiting prowess um, and energy. And you know what? They had too many. They had too many white guys on this staff. They need to get diverse with this staff. They don't have. They, I, they, they need to be more open minded to that. So I absolutely thought that Ryan Day needed to be open minded to that idea. The, Urban Meyer at times. Uh, here's the thing. Like, he hired Bill Davis. Bill Davis is his friend. Hired Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano is his friend. Hired Greg Stadaro. Greg Stadaro was his friend. His friends are a bunch of old white guys. I'm glad you said it, not me. But, I mean, I'm just... And no, it's I'm not, not, no, you're 100% right. It's not about, like, a, it's not like, a quota or anything. I mean, no. it's just like, are you being open-minded to the best people? And are you building a staff yeah. that is diverse in a lot of ways? In experience, 
in age, in background, in the way they relate to players. You don't want 10 guys who were super energetic. You don't want 10 guys who were super calm. I thought at times they fell short in that area. And so I'm glad that Al Washington is here. I think you're coaching a sport with a predominant where most of the players predominantly are African American, so there needs that has to take that has to be a thought process in your back. Hundred percent. That like they got to be able to talk to these kids as just human beings when you're not on in your practice for two hours. Like there has to be an element of that. I'm going to give it a seven for a lot of the same reasons you named. I think he, I think he can get guys here, but then you've got to see if he can actually like develop them into being something. So I'll make it a seven as well. And I think that will be the thing, the coaching aspect yeah. of it, because I think the recruiting aspect's there. Jeff Hathley, co-coordinator, coming from the San Francisco 49ers, um, had been at Pitt, had been at Rutgers, was a Greg Schiano guy, was hired by Greg Schiano at Rutgers. Then when Schiano went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Hathley went with him, and that's how Hathley got into the NFL, was through Greg Schiano. Now he's basically helping to replace Greg Schiano. Um, I don't know. Like, I think this is basically a trade-out for Grinch, okay? And so I said it was a three to lose Grinch. So I'm going to give, like, Halfley a six just because, like, good hire it seems like. And I think if they didn't get him, they could have gotten somebody else. But he worked with Ryan Day. The NFL guys, Tyvis Powell, Richard Sherman, Dante Whitner. This guy worked in Cleveland previously. He went Tampa, Cleveland, San Francisco. Um, he did good things with the Browns. They had three pro bowlers in the secondary his first year in Cleveland. He um, had an eye for talent. He, had some, they had, he signed an undrafted guy that he got the Browns to sign who turned into a good player for them at nickel corner. Um, so I think it's good. And I just think he's like another guy. He's, he's young. He's about the right, same age as Ryan Day. So I think it's good, and it's basically a trade-out for Alex Grinch. But then if I'm going to say, well, you lose Alex Grinch, you can find somebody just as good. I think, you know, you lose Jeff Halfley, you'd find somebody just as good. So I think he's like a good, solid co-coordinator with upside who seems like he's a good coach. I'm going to go a five with him just because yeah, he's replacing a guy. That, I mean, it's not really a big deal that you lost him. But I think a lot of guys have been uh, – players have been high on him. Uh, Tyvis Powell, who's on the 49ers right now, former Buckeye, had a lot of good things to say about him. Brian Hartline was on the Browns when <clears throat> Halfley was on the Browns. Coaching at the Browns, he also had some great things to say about him. I think that matters how players view you. And I think when you've got players who have – the moment it was announced, a lot of players came to his – Aid and were very high on him. And I think that plays a huge role, especially when, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to be a player's coach. And I think that plays a huge role. And it's one of those things, it's not like guys come out and like rip coaches when they get fired. No, but, but you don't have to come out yeah, with that like kind of Yeah, When you praise. go out of your way and go, oh my God, that's a great hire, that's a great hire, that's, that says something. It does. I think it does. And we, it's like we don't know Jeff Halfley from yeah. Adam, but that, that seemed like it meant something. All right, Greg Madison's the last one. He's the guy. He is the leading candidate in the Tim Beck, Bill Davis, what is this guy doing on staff race? Listen, I get, like, you know, he's been at Michigan, one of the best defensives in the country for the last couple of years, but he's old, and it doesn't... Don't be ageist! I'm not... Okay, I'm, I'm old, too! It just seemed like the two hires that they made, as far as from a co-defensive coordinator standpoint... It, it matched what they already had as far as you had one old guy and one young guy and they seem like they're just going to butt heads the entire time in the coaching office because one's got this new way of thinking and the other one's kind of setting his ways a little bit. And I think at some point that's going to happen this year where you're going to see Madison and Halfley go at it it's just simply because 
Young versus old. Young versus old is going to combat at some point over something. And I think that's what's going to happen with those two. I, he's obviously accomplished. He's been some places and done some things. But, you know, when you've been some, sometimes when you've been some places and done some things, you get that mentality of if it's, don't, if it's ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, just because it's not broke doesn't mean it's not starting to, you know, get there. You know, keep a car for 50 years. Even if it's still running, you probably shouldn't still be driving that car. And I think at some point next season, you're going to see a point when those two are going to butt heads just because of their philosophies are so different because they're so far apart in experience and age. So what's your number? 8.5. 8.5 in impact because it could could be negative. Yeah. yeah or it could not. I may be wrong. Yeah. Well, if he's in charge of the defense, that's a big – I think I, I was going to say low, but I think I get your point. I'm going to say an eight because, again, he has a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And a lot of times, co-coordinators, when you have a front-end guy and a back-end guy, a lot of times one guy's calling the coverages and another guy's calling what their, what their package is up mm-hmm. front. So Halfley and Madison will have to work together on that. He has not been the coordinator at Michigan for the last four years. When Harbaugh got there, he, he hired Don Brown to be the coordinator. Madison had been the coordinator for Brady Hoke. Madison said he was going to decide to stay even though he wasn't, even though he wasn't the coordinator anymore because he l- loves Michigan. And I watched a video about it. He's been there for eight years. So there's going to be a lot of talk with this Ohio State-Michigan stuff. Al Washington was in Michigan for one year. Al Washington grew up in Columbus. His dad played for Ohio State. He yeah. worked for Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Al Washington just took a good job at Michigan. He's in his mid-30s. He, took, he was a mid, in his mid-30s coaching at Michigan. That's a, it's a great career path. He's like not a Wolverine. No. Greg Madison coached at Michigan for eight years. And this is his second tour here, there. Right, and he's so, been there before. Yeah. So, like, that's a different so, situation. Like, like, this is a guy with some pretty deep Michigan roots, and it feels like a stretch to me that, that when you have a situation where Greg Schiano, who most recently was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers – and comes to be your defensive coordinator. The guy who's replacing him is a guy who was the defensive line coach at Michigan, wasn't the coordinator for the past four years, and now he's your coordinator. So Shiana, their last coordinator used to be a head coach. Their current coordinator used to be a position coach. And he's done it before, but I just think it's an odd choice. I just feel like there are a load of guys who they could have gone with without getting a guy off Michigan staff. And maybe they're trying to... This, I said, and I wrote this, this felt like a rivalry hire to me, like that screw Michigan and get Madison. Washington feels like I know him. He's good. It's a good yeah. fit. I don't care where Al Washington was coaching. I wanted him. He has a relationship with Ryan Day, and he has a relationship with the Ohio State program growing up here. There's a lot that makes sense for Al Washington. I'm not sure what makes sense about Greg Madison. I don't know. Like, he worked with these guys because he worked for Urban Meyer at Florida. They respect him as a recruiter. They think he's really good as a recruiter. He knows the guys. The Florida guys who were here, who were on Urban Staff then, they know Greg Madison. But, I mean, if you had said – I mean, you could line up 50 coaches and said, who do you think Ohio State's next defensive coordinator was going to be? I, I would not have guessed Greg Madison. So he's the guy that I'm going to wonder about. And if he doesn't get it done, that's going to – I'm going to say, why is he here? I am hoping this doesn't happen, but I'm waiting for the when those two butt heads and I'll go. I told you so. So the one and the thing that I think is a little odd is that Ma- I think Madison and Larry Johnson are very much the same guy. They're really good defensive line coaches who are really good recruiters and are veteran coaches in their sixties. 
So what Greg Madison does best, which is coach defensive line, he's not going to do here because Larry Johnson's already here. Right. And actually, I mean, Larry Johnson, Larry Johnson, I think in a lot of ways, has gotten overlooked in his coaching career because he's never really had the same chance as Madison. Madison, I think, has called defenses for like 17 different years. Um, Larry Johnson got a bump to associate head coach in this mix. He'll get a little pay raise with that. It's a nice bump. I think what happens a lot of times with that is like who's in charge, like if Ryan Day isn't at practice. Yeah. So then Larry Johnson's in charge. Um, it's move. nice, but does, he's not calling the defense. No. Like, why didn't just make Larry Johnson the defensive coordinator then? I don't know. Like, what's so, – I wouldn't have been against that, honestly. No? I, I, I understand either. he's old too, but, like, I mean, he's got NFL guys running all over the place. So it's like that is a if it ain't broke, don't fix it situation. And the car is running very smoothly. Yeah. So I, I just think there's a lot of ways they could have gone um, – that Madison is in the mix. I, I'm going to be open-minded about it. Why, you know, Jake Burns, if you guys don't read this stuff on Cleveland.com, Jake Burns is a guy who does a lot of film breakdowns on the Browns. He does a film breakdown at Cleveland.com now once a week. It's usually on the Browns, but sometimes we ask him to do Ohio State. <coughs> we ask him to break down Greg Madison as a defensive coordinator. It's a really good breakdown. I just read it. Greg Madison likes to run a 4-3. He does bring guys up to the line to pressure. That was a problem with the linebackers this year is they had guys at the line and the linebackers were out of position. Greg Madison does some of that same stuff. It seems seems like Greg Madison is not in love with necessarily playing man coverage all the time. I am very curious to see what Ryan Day does with that because that was a situation here where, like, no matter what they were doing defensively, Urban Meyer, after 2013, from 2014 on, said, we're playing man. And then this year they had to back off some of that because they were getting killed on it and they didn't have the corners who could do it. I'm curious to see what they do going forward. Ohio State's cornerback pipeline has been based in part on the idea that they could recruit to this idea and then they put, put it on film. You're going to come here. We're going to put you on an island. It's how the NFL plays. The NFL is going to love you. We need great athletes. You're going to have opportunity to succeed and opportunity for the NFL to look at you. If they get away from that, they're going to lose a little bit of what their identity has been the last couple of years. And one of the major parts of their identity has been the NFL cornerback pipeline. So I'm curious to see uh, what happens with that. So I, I'm just I'm, – I'm, I'm open – There's going into spring practice, 100% open mind. Open mind on Justin Fields and Tate Martell. Open mind on Greg Madison. Open mind on the offensive line. Open mind on everything. Open mind on all these defensive battles where I don't think 2018 starters necessarily need to be 2019 starters. Completely open mind. But I'm just saying, as always, it's usually how it goes in this podcast. There's a lot of optimism right now, especially with compared to Michigan. It feels like Ryan Day's sticking it to Michigan. He's getting Justin Fields. He's making interesting hires. He didn't just stick with the same old defensive guys. I don't know that everything's a 10 out of 10. Right, and that's all. That's fine. It's not a criticism of Ryan Day, but it's just early. he's not going to. If Urban Meyer, who is one of the great college football coaches of all time, if Urban Meyer didn't get everything right, Ryan Day is not going to get everything right. So we're just telling you um, maybe what to sort of keep your eye on a little bit, um, because I think that's what's uh, that's what's going to matter. Well, the idea, just real quick on this, the idea that like. Michigan's defense was great. Ohio State cut them apart, and then they hired two of the Michigan defensive coaches. Like, is that – like, hey, we hung 62 on you. Give us all your coaches. 
Or is it more like, hey, they're one of the five best defenses in the country who had an awful day against Ohio State, but did they still? is that a good defense that you should be stealing from? I'll say this. Michigan still had one of the best defenses in the country. Ohio State just had a really good offense and a Heisman-level quarterback who's going to be a top-ten pick in the NFL draft. And I think that's what this is going to all come back to as far as what happened in that game this season. Whatever criteria you want to use, I don't care what game it is, you can throw in the answer, well, one team had Dwayne Haskins and the other one didn't. That's okay to be able to do that. I think they stole two quality guys from Michigan. Now, as far as one's old, and I know I just did the whole rant you about old people. You hate old people. I, hate I am old pers- people. As an old person. I hate old people who are stuck in their ways. I hate anybody that's stuck in their ways because there's 16-year-olds out here who are stuck in their ways. So, And they're, they've only been on earth for 16 years. I don't know how you could be stuck in the ways of something that you've only done for 16 years. But, okay, whatever. I think the point is they didn't, I didn't, they didn't just go get guys from Michigan. I think they got quality. Some of the guys who made Michigan – the number one defense in the country. And we'll see if it works here. I think Al Washington will most definitely work here. We'll see on Greg Madison. I'm, you know, that's my – let's see. We're on alert. All right, let's get to some questions. Billy Byler, the Byler, I always love Billy's questions. How closely can we compare Cincinnati hiring Hugh Jackson to Ohio State going after Michigan <laughs> coaches? Same type of motivation. He said, my assumption, Cincinnati hired Hugh at least in part for his insight on how to beat Baker and the Browns. Similarly, did Ryan Day go after Michigan coaches primarily to gain insight on how to beat Michigan? Here's the thing. They already knew how to beat Michigan. They've been doing it for seven years. (laughs) Ryan Day knew how to beat Michigan because he coached with Don Brown at Boston College. Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator. Don Brown was the defensive coordinator. We've covered this. Ryan Day knew exactly what Don Brown likes to do. Ryan Day knew exactly how to combat that. Now you could say, well, maybe Don Brown should have done the same thing about Ryan Day. He didn't. Ryan Day had a feel for that game, I think, unlike anything all year. Um, so, no, it's not insight. If anything, it's, it's – I think Al Washington, as we said, makes sense for a million different reasons. The Madison thing, if it's like, you know what, he's good. We could get somebody else, but why don't we screw Michigan in the process? There might be something. It's not insight, but it's like if we can, if we can poke a hole – if, if we could make Michigan spring another leak. While not hurting ourselves in the process. Yeah. Then why not? Yeah, because I do think, I mean, it seems like the Michigan people are saying they wanted to keep Madison. Madison's done a good job there. <coughs> but part of the deal is, he, I, and I think it's important to note, yes, it's kind of a lateral move, but it's actually not. Because he's going to have more responsibility at Ohio State. They were not offering Greg Madison the chance to be the defensive coordinator again there. He's a co-coordinator here. He was not a co-coordinator there. So there was a promotion involved here. It's not completely a lateral move. I did write about this at Cleveland.com, and I think there are absolutely ways that you can and should read this as Ryan Day getting another leg up on Michigan and, like, what the hell is happening at Michigan? They think they're going to the playoff. They lose to Ohio State. They get blown out in their bowl game. Three of their guys don't play in the bowl game. They lose two coaches to Ohio State. Don Brown's interviewing for head coaching jobs. Like, Michigan thought they were about to get over the hump, and now they're falling back down the hill again. And Ohio State has given them a little kick on the way down. I absolutely think there's a way to read it that way. However, Greg Madison got a promotion to come here. I'm not going to use the bowl game as a thing because unless you're in a champion in a playoff, a lot of teams are not. Like Ohio State was rare to not have anybody sit out. So like I'm just not going to use a bowl game as like. I mean, you got blown out, yeah, but you still have players sit out. So like that's always going to be able to be an asterisk. On bowl games. Yeah, I kind of feel like they felt like they quit a little bit. Yeah, like if you're not playing for a championship, it just like Ohio State had an extra motivation that just a lot of teams didn't have. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're in a playoff bowl. That's a good bowl game against a good team. Ohio yeah. State, like Denzel Ward didn't play last year, and Ohio State got up to play USC. No, no, no. Right? I'm not saying it's a good excuse, but it's, it, it is an excuse that teams are going to no. always be able to Well, do. but it's not an excuse. It, it, it's, <clears throat> it's not the score. It's more the idea of, like, what's, what's the deal at Michigan that, like, they kind of came out and, like, laid an egg in their bowl game and – didn't seem that into it when they got down. Like, they didn't have much yeah. fight when they got down. And so, like, sometimes you lose your ball game. Florida's good. But, like, <laughs> that did not feel like Michigan. And, and it's one of those things, like, you know, I understand losing the Armed Forces Bowl or whatever. Like, we thought, that's a good bowl. That's still a really good bowl that they were in. Was they were the Peach Bowl, right? Yeah. So, I, like, I agree with you, but I also think, like, it's not the end of the world, but I think when you throw the bowl result into the list of other things that are going on, it's the first time for me, and this is what I wrote, that I've been a little reluctant. I think Harbaugh has been over-criticized. It was the first time for me where I really thought, what's, what's the deal there? Like, is this going to work? Because there's just a couple different things happening. They lose Zach Harrison. And he's from Columbus, I know, but, it, but he felt like he was trending that way for a while. They're losing coaches. They lose the games. Uh, I just, I, I, it makes me, uh, my, my antenna are up more in regards to the Harbaugh era at Michigan more than they've ever been. I was, I've been in on the Harbaugh era of like, listen, people. Rich Rod sucked. Brady Hoke sucked. He's your savior. Appreciate what he's done. He had a ways to come. They don't have a recruiting base like Ohio. It's going to take some time. He's got to get his quarterback in there. It's coming. They were close in 2016. But the way this season, the last six, seven weeks for Michigan football, is the first time where I was really like, man, maybe I'm wrong on this. Mark Roberts asked the question we just answered. I just want to acknowledge Mark, who has become a loyal listener and question asker. Why are we poaching Michigan defensive coaches when we hung 62 on them? Michael Walter, Mike Dubbs, 09. Is ruthless Ryan Day the only way Ohio State will win another national championship? From the looks of it, he is ruthless, and it is just what Ohio State needs. Loyalty won't win you a championship anymore. Yes. So I don't mean to be like, I feel like I started the ruthless discussion. I feel like that's my word. It's kind of gotten out there. I feel like. Ruthless Ryan. So Ruthless Ryan, I mean, and I said it on the podcast at the Rose Bowl that I think the Justin Fields move is like the first indication of ruthlessness. I think the second indication would be if some starters from 2018 aren't starters in 2019. I think the idea that like he did let go Greg Schiano and Bill Davis um, and we'll see who else um, is some indication of that. I think it is needed. Um, We've talked a million times about Urban sticking with JT when other teams have have decided to to switch quarterbacks. I think there's a fine line there. But I think the main thing is is you've got to have the players to move to. But I do think it feels like Ryan Day is um, trying to establish his own way of doing things. But you said yes immediately. You're in on – do you think the number one thing – maybe not the number one thing. Do you think ruthlessness and a greater degree of ruthlessness than Urban Meyer showed – is a key ingredient for success for Ryan Day. Yes, and the, like, the, the key thing is to win a national championship. The last two teams to win a national championship were ruthless, literally. One guy pulled the guy who had already won him a national championship at halftime of another national championship and won the national championship. Another guy went under, undefeated in the regular season and had a number one seed in the college football playoff with a quarterback. And brought in an 18-year-old who had been in high school for the first six months of the year. For the whole season, he was in high school. Came in as an early enrollment and gave him the job, and they just won the national championship. 
I think sports, some of sports is copycat. You, you kind of do what you see the team who's winning doing. No matter what sport it is, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, soccer, I don't, boxing, who cares? You see, you see what the winner is doing, and there's a little bit of a copycat. No, you're never going to do it as well as that winner is doing it, but there's a little bit of a copycat. Well, the last two national championships just showed you how ruthless they were at the most important position in the sport. I think that Ryan Day needs to adopt that philosophy, and you already see him doing it with Justin Fields. We'll see what happens with a lot of the starters, especially on the defensive end. But, yeah, if you want to win a national championship, loyalty is great, but, like, this is still sports. You still got to win your job every single week. I will say it's, it's kind of amazing to me that as we put a bow on the Urban Meyer era, we're talking about – was he too nice? I don't know if that's where anyone <laughs> saw that going. You know what the problem with Thurman Meyer is? Too nice. Uh, Scott Dudai. We'll see if, if Steven is up for this. I've done this in the past. Can you and Steven reenact Fields and Martell meeting in the locker room for the first time, complete with fake oh, voices? God. It's been too long since there has been a fake conversation on the pod. So I've had, uh, we've had multiple fake conversations on the pod. Sometimes we even do like a fake knock on the yeah. door. You want to do a fake Tate and Justin meet up in the locker room? I think I might need to be uh, Tate just because of my like I've already kind of at the moment. Okay, all right, you be Tate, all right, and I'm Justin. All right. Um, hey Tate, I'm Justin. Nice to meet you. So, so uh, seems like you had a lot to say, man. Listen, man. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I don't care about the number one. This is my job. These guys are behind me. We've been working already, even in the offseason. We've gone to Woody Hayes every single day and put the work in. I've got the experience. I've got the chemistry. I don't care about your rankings or any of that. I don't care who you've worked with. I don't care if you and Dwayne Haskins are best friends. This is my job, so get in line, buddy. Man, you, you saw me at the game with Dwayne, though, right? Yeah, and you I see, left right after that. You see who I was sitting with on the other side? Nobody cares about that. Yeah. He's not the coach. Yeah, well, he's not the coach anymore. Yeah. He's an assistant athletic director. So you can go sit up with Gene Smith. You can go sit with the president of the university. I don't care. This is my job. You mean you don't care about the coach who's the coach that came out and convinced me to transfer to Ohio State? So he's I'll also the quarterback this, here? He's, already, he's the same coach who recruited me. So suck it. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, th- I, th- I think he kind of is into me, though, dude. I don't think I'd be here if he didn't want me. So, you know, whatever. I'm up for a competition, but I'm just saying, why am I here if he doesn't think I can win the job? Listen, I don't care. He can. Why am I here if he doesn't think he, I can win the job? I can say the same thing. This is going to be a great competition, but at the end of the day, I'm going to win. Man, I feel, uh, I feel like I'm uh, end scene. I feel like I'm, uh, I, am, I did not portray... The uh, full confidence that I believe Justin Fields no, was showing that did. situation. Because I, I got to tell you what, you were in my grill, man. Oh yeah, that was a, that got real. And to be honest with you, I think that's how that's going to go. And that got. I'm a little. I'm thinking of actually transferring back to Georgia after that because that was. Because <laughs> I, I, I sort of like like what what it's like what is Tate so Tate said all that stuff at the Rose Bowl, which by the way was just Gold. fantastic, which is dripping with butter. It's like, oh, is he gonna, what's he going to do, scare Justin Fields off? Let me say in the moment, having just played the role of Justin Fields, That's first maybe game. I felt scared. He has to. He has to take the first move. Like, he can't, like, like Justin might say hi, but, like, Tate has to set the tone, and here's why. I think you actually did play Justin Fields perfectly. I've watched some of his under interviews. He was also on the show QB1 on Netflix, which is ironic. Hex can be that, like, I'll stay oh, yeah. you guys from that. But it seems like Justin Fields falls in line with the Dwayne Haskins, like, where it's like, it's cool. cocky, but it's like, randomly throw it out there. Like, yeah, man, me and, me and Shay have been texting, you know. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, yeah, I know their coverage. Who cares? You know, they've been running cover two all year. While Tate is most definitely like aggressive, like he's gonna tweet at fans after the game and put all that stuff up. Dwayne Haskins isn't doing all that. He's cocky, but it's like, wait, did you really just say that? And it's like, yeah, like, okay. I I gotta say, I I thought. I had no problem with anything that Tate Martell said at the Rose Bowl. I'm no. all for it. He should be confident. And if he wants to throw down the gauntlet, great. But I find his strategy even more effective now than I did two minutes ago That's before cheating. that encounter. Because i got to tell you, maybe it's more about me. But that I, – I, if I'm heading out to the first practice right now and you were just up in my face like that, I'm a little less sure of myself. So Tate I, has the personality of a guy who's already losing in a race. While Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins have a personality of somebody who's already winning. So, so I had thought before, I think my percentage was something like maybe I would say 85% Fields wins the job, 15% Tate. I'm going 75-25 now based on that interaction alone. We're not as good. You have to have another element. Uh, where are you? Where are you on a percentage of who you think wins it? 75-25 is where I'll go. Justin Fields <coughs> to Tate Martell. Just because I don't know, man. I Like... This is just because it is Justin Fields' job to lose, but like it's like a high twenty-five because like I wouldn't be shocked if Tate Martell somehow won the job because I can I can see it I can see exactly how he won the job, and it's it's just one of those situations where it's like if Justin Fields is Justin Fields, I'm not sure anything there's anything Tate yeah. can do, but what Tate could I mean like but but the question is can is is Justin Fields gonna be his best self right away in new school. Both from knowing the offense, but also just a comfort level and being ready to compete. Tate has to find every advantage he has and use it, like from day one. Sam Uwell, Sam Faulkner, did we only get Zach Harrison because we hired his main recruiters away from Michigan? <laughs> I'm sure he had to have known. Or put your tinfoil hat on, it's conspiracy theory time. Did we only hire them to get Zach Harrison? So, always up for a good conspiracy theory. I think we know why Ohio State got Zach Harrison, and it's Larry Johnson. Oh, yeah. So... Like, Larry Johnson beat Al Washington and Greg Madison for Zach Harrison. Also, Zach Harrison was half an hour away. So, it, you know, they should get him. Um, I love it, but uh, no. I listen, I, I, <laughs> look, Larry Johnson is the best D-line coach in the country, bro. Yeah, and he's a great recruiter, <laughs> and he relates to guys. So, like, when you have that in your back pocket, that's, there's, you're always going to have some type of advantage. Like, when they're losing for a defensive line guy, they send in Larry Johnson and they win. It happened with yeah, Tyreek Smith. It happened with it happened Zach with Harrison. Harrison. I mean, it's, it's Larry Johnson. Because he, he, there's so many parts of him that he can sell because he sends guys to the NFL. He's great at technique. He's everybody's grandpa. He gets on your butt, but he's a really, he relates to the kids. He's an older guy who relates to the kids in the family. He's exceptionally, exceptionally well. Tyquan Lewis loves the guy. Joey Bosa loves the guy. Nick Bosa loves the guy. Sam Hubbard loves the guy. Jace literally said, um, like we asked him about, hey, do you, about whether Larry, what, his thoughts on if Larry Johnson was going to be here next year. And he was like, he told me he was going to be. And he said it was like, Yo, like he's not leaving, is he? Like yeah, it was oh, almost like he was. Like, he seemed a little like, yo, is that like that's not real? Like he's gonna be here. Yeah, they love him. So I mean, I don't think. I mean, that's what Larry Johnson does. Uh, C underscore Keck from Chris. Will there be enough of a QB trade up market for the Buckeyes to go one two in the 2019 NFL draft? Someone else asked this question too, and I said we credit them, and I'll try to find it. But I wrote about that today. The idea of Bosa and Haskins going one two, I could not believe it. I don't know if you read the story. Did you read it? Yeah. 
I could not believe it has happened five other times yeah. that one school has That's produced the top two picks. Yeah. That's not that surprising in football because, like, it's, it's a lot it's about a lot of need. schools, man. Yeah, but it's a lot of need, too. And, like, I mean, it's a lot of schools, but it's not really a lot of schools. When you really break it down, it's like and not – that have consistent NFL yeah, talent. Yeah, It's like not that many. It's really – it's a handful. It's a and there were other – like, so the last one that did it was Penn State in 2000 mm-hmm. uh, with Larry Johnson, guys, actually, with <laughs> Courtney Brown and LeVar <laughs> Arrington. Enough. Um, and it happened with Michigan State a while ago. It happened with Indiana many moons ago. It happened with Oklahoma State. Sounds and it happened with Nebraska in the 80s. Um, other schools have been close. Ohio State had a one and a three in 97 with Orlando Pace and Sean Springs. Mm-hmm. Illinois, I think, had a two and a three with Simeon Rice and Kevin Hardy, and I remember that one. Um, so other schools have been close. Oklahoma the one year. The Sam Bradford year, I guess, yeah, I in 08 for Oklahoma, going. they had one, three, four, yeah. which is redonkulous. Um, so it still would be a pretty great thing. And I basically I wrote it. We don't know what's going to happen, but I think Dwayne Haskins is definitely going to be the first quarterback picked. There don't seem to be teams in the top three who need a quarterback, but there are teams at like six, seven, <coughs> nine, and eleven that need one. I think Dwayne Hoskins is going <laughs> to be a giant. I think Dwayne Hoskins is going to be throwing to Odell Beckham Jr. So, show. but the question is, is it, like the Giants are at six and the Jaguars are at seven? Do you just sit and let it happen, or if everyone sees that, right? Everyone sees Giants at six need a quarterback. They passed on a quarterback to take Saquon. You know you have to get in front of the Giants. So are the Jaguars or someone else going to be aggressive? People have theorized about the Raiders at four. They have a lot of extra picks. If they're not in on Derek Carr, would they make a jump? So I think Arizona at one has a lot of needs. They certainly could take Nick Bosa. They just drafted Josh Rosen. They just got Cliff Kingsbury. But if, if, if you're Jacksonville and you feel like you have almost a championship-caliber team but quarterback's been holding you back, but maybe you feel like you're still in a window, wouldn't you do what you have to do to go up and get Dwayne Haskins if I, you think he's the answer and I get think, ahead of the Giants? I, yeah, I think that if anybody if, – if Haskins will go six unless the Jaguars do something. In my or, or maybe somebody else. I mean, like, you know, whatever it was – yeah, well, just based off the order right now. Like, yeah, but and there's always – but that's the thing. There's got to be a trade. There's got to be trades if you're if, – if, for Haskins to go in the one or two, someone's got to trade up for it. But it just seems like there are teams who would be positioned to do that, which is why it makes it interesting. And they have to decide if he's worth it or not, but how long are you going to wait? And I think he's the only quarterback in this draft who – no one's trading up into the top five to take Daniel Jones or Drew Locke. It's it, it's has you so so do you sit and wait for Haskins and hope he gets to you, or do you feel like you've got to make a move? Because I think Nick Bosa is going to be the first non-quarterback taken. So I think Nick Bosa very well might go one to Arizona, but if someone trades up, then the Niners at two would be happy to take Nick Bosa. So I just think it's not impossible the way things work and the way teams get antsy about quarterbacks that somebody might go get Dwayne. If I'm the Giants, I feel safe unless something crazy happens. And if I'm the Jaguars, I'm looking to trade up. But it's one of those things too, like if you're the Giants, if he's this if he's the end game, do you have to trade before the Jaguars can? Can you sit and wait? Or it's like, well, we're six, the Jaguars are seven, but what if the Jaguars go to one and get him or go to two and get him? Yeah. We've got to do it first. So I, I just think – and I think – I don't uh, – what the hell? The Arizona Cardinals just hired a new coach. They hired Cliff Kingsbury five minutes ago. 
they're not they're not going to win next year with a second year quarterback and rookie head coach. I think they would be in a position. Why wouldn't they be to try to really ransom somebody mm. who feels like they're trying to get Dwayne and try to get three first round picks out of it? Aaron Schneider at Hnied six. Short answer on this, Stephen, because it's basically a synopsis of everything we just talked about for the last two hours. Shiano and Bill Davis are gone. Ohio State signs Justin Fields. Urban Meyer retired. Dwayne is going to the NFL. How am I exactly supposed to feel right now as an Ohio State fan? And I think the point is there seems to be a lot of good, but they also just lost Urban and Dwayne. Like, what's the overriding feeling for these fans? Intrigued. Ooh, good word. Hopeful, I think. I think there's hope in the intrigue, but I think you also have to appreciate the fact that you just lost a legendary coach and the best, the best thrower you're ever going to see. A lot is happening at one time. Yeah. So like yesterday, literally. Just got to take it in stride. Knuckbutts at lucky number S17. It seems to me that Day is almost deliberately making moves to separate the program from the Meyer era. Going after Fields, gutting the defensive staff, going after an air game OC, keeping Kevin, Wil- Kevin Wilson, which we think it seems like is what's going to happen. Is this your read? New sheriff in town putting together his own team. If that is your read, doesn't it say that Day really is? Doesn't it say that Day really is ready for this job? Seems willing to go all in and put the ultimate success or failure of this program over the next five years on his shoulders. Bold, I love it. I think that's mostly true in there. But I, and I also think the number my my number one concern for all this is like the shadow of Urban. How do you escape it? How do you become your own man? Um, I think it is a lot of good signs. It's all the stuff we've talked about. I don't think. Any of this is a bad sign for Ryan Day, but it's also like not a guarantee it's going to work. But I think, do you, in general, do you feel like the moves that Ryan Day has made make you hopeful? Yeah. We're just finishing the pod. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. We appreciate it, though. Thanks, Dan. I think, I'll say, I think Ryan Day said this, like, he want, there's some things from Urban Meyer there that they're going to keep around. I think a lot of that stuff is just more culture stuff. Like, yep. just like, you know, the stuff that makes Ohio State football, Ohio State football. But I think as far as, like, from a scheme standpoint, yeah, he's got to be bold. He's at Ohio State. He's got to make decisions where this could possibly put you in the driver's seat to win a national championship every year. He's not at a school where, like, okay, give it time. He didn't have two or three years. Like, he needs – like, there has to be, like, a – there's a championship or nothing mentality at this school. And so, yeah, he's got to make decisions like this. So I love the decisions he's making. He's putting his stamp on it, <coughs> how he's going to run things as a coach from a football standpoint. Well, well, yeah, he's still keeping some things from the Urban Meyer from a culture standpoint around. George Bevan, GP Bevan won now that Bill Davis is gone. What will you adopt as the new Buckeye Talk Crusade? <coughs> Greg, you're on our head. We're going to do – we're going to do <laughs> – the good. Anybody with the good. <laughs> Anybody with the good. We're coming for uh, So we said that. I mean, I, I would say it's not, it's not a crusade at the moment. Open-minded. No crusade at the moment. Maybe like an anti-coughing crusade to eradicate coughing from the world. But um, We wouldn't be surprised if we're on a crusade for him. That's what we'll say. Like, yeah, we're, we're not at the moment. But alert. like, we're not surprised if like six months from now, we're like, yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to go, I'm, I'm going to let it like half the season play out. Yeah, but, yeah, no, but, I'm like, and, and maybe it'll be something else. I mean, it's, and it's not personal. It's not, it's not about who you are. It's about the job you do. And so all I ever did was I thought Tim Beck and Bill Davis didn't do their jobs very well. So if it turns out that like 
Tony Alford's not doing his job very well, or if Tabor Johnson's still here, he's not doing his job very well, or if Jeff Halfley's not doing his job very well, or Greg Stradrawa, then it'll be them. Greg Stradrawa, if he sticks around, it might be him too. Uh, also, I went to the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble bookstore a few weeks ago and told the cashier that Doug sent me. She asked if Doug worked there or something. Since I patronized your sponsor, am I buying you guys Diet Cokes, Diet Cokes and McNuggets, or do sponsorships fund something else? Um, sponsorships fund the journalistic enterprise that we're trying to do here. It is a drop in the bucket, but it's better than doing a two-hour podcast every week for free. So we want to get more sponsors. I think our sponsorships actually with the, the, the bookstore and with Minuteman Tickets, um, they've run out. They were season-long sponsorships. We're no longer in the season. So at the moment, you're not going to hear a commercial. We'd like to get some more. Um, so we're going to go out and try to drum up some biz. Um, but thank you for going to the bookstore. The one thing we wanted a code, especially online, where like a lot of things it's like, oh, we put in a code, put in yeah. BT for Buckeye Talk or something, and then you can track how much business you're driving to someone. Like that wasn't an option, I guess, for us. So that didn't happen for either of our sponsors. So I don't know if they feel like it was worth it or not. We should probably check in with them. We liked it. I liked screaming the commercials for three minutes at a time every week. But I appreciate you, George Bevan, and anyone else who patronized MinutemanTickets.com or ShopOhioState.com, the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. Thank you for going to the sponsorships. And you know what? We're going to drink Diet Cokes no matter what. Do you eat McNuggets? I don't eat McDonald's. Yeah, I don't like McNuggets. Like McDonald's is not good. So we're probably never going to get a McDonald's sponsorship because I'm just going to always bag on McDonald's. Yeah, we're probably not going to get that. No. Nate Miller, who fills out the last coaching spot. So um, that's operating under the assumption that Kevin Wilson, Tony Alford, and Greg Studrawa stay, um, which is at the moment probably a decent assumption. And then, like, it's the, it's the Tabor Johnson question. Um, I don't know. The, the one thing that I would say is um, so far, defensively, like, I guess Greg Madison, I don't know. That they, Urban's connected to Greg Madison. I don't really know of a Ryan Day-Greg Madison connection. Obviously, he knew Halfley in Washington. Yursich seems to be a hire the best guy available hire. Mm-hmm. So on some level, like, I like that hire the best because I like it when pe- you hire people who you don't know. Urban Meyer didn't know Tom Herman. Urban Meyer didn't know Chris Ash. He hired him. They were really good. So this, whatever the last spot is, if they don't keep Tabor Johnson and they're getting a new corners coach or whatever they're doing, if it turns out that Halfley coaches the secondary and they're just going to have a they're going to have a special teams coordinator or something, which I also would be up for a special teams coach. Um, I just want to be the best guy in the country at what he does, and I don't want him to ever have met Ryan Day before Ryan Day gave him the job. And and I like might be a weird thing to say, but what I've been pounding, what I pounded all year with this stuff with Davis and Shiano and Stadrawa and everything else, and I wrote and talked about it is Ohio State should hire the best position coach at each position in the country. That should be the standard, just like they try to get the best player in every position. They don't, they don't recruit guys that the coaches know. They don't recruit someone's nephew. They don't recruit somebody's neighbor. The knowing to, part should be the benefit. Like, it should be a bonus. It shouldn't be why – it shouldn't be a reason. Like, oh, you just happen to know who the best cornerback coach in the country is or who the best linebacker – you just happen to know who that is. But, like – But you're not friends. No. But even if you like no, even if like you were like you just happened like if Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham Jr. And this is I don't, I don't know anything. This is not real. This is just a hypothetical. If they end up on the same team, like they're friends, but like they just happen to be two of the best at their position, and them being friends just happens to be like a you know 
a part of why it happened, but it's not the reason it happened. Right. And I think that's how it should be. If you're okay, that's fine. But it shouldn't be, have anything to do with why you hired a person. Agree. Christian Zilstra, with recruiting the fields transfer, the new hirings, and how quickly the changes are being made, is this about as good of a start as Ryan Day could have had as a head coach? Then I think he got in a little exchange with another tweeter, and he said, of course it can't be much better. A near-perfect start. I just like hearing my name on the podcast. <laughs> Christian Zilstra. Christian Zilstra. Shout out to you. KDCR Cheesy. See, if you guys send in enough questions, at some point we'll just say your name, even if your question is self-evident. Um, Dave Nemeth. This is a kind of a philosophical question that I think is just a point I want to make. Do you know if the new defensive backs coach will teach them to turn and look for the ball instead of the face-guarding technique that got us so many pass interference penalties and missed chances at interceptions? This would have been a prerequisite for me in the hiring process. So I just am very curious about all this stuff, right, that Ohio State under Urban Meyer since 14 on had a way of doing stuff. <coughs> is that going to change? So that's like man coverage is part of that. Also, this technique with the defensive backs is part of that because – when you talked to Tabor Johnson this year about why they played corner the way they played corner, his answer was, well, that's the, re- that's the way we've always played corner here. So it wasn't Tabor Johnson's choice. It was they were doing what they had done under Kerry Combs, what Urban Meyer had decided they were going to do with Chris Ash, and that was what they did. Ryan Day, there's no – Ryan Day can do whatever he wants. All the gloves are off. So, like, when – like, we don't – I mean, I'm, nobody knows. They, they don't even know yet. They're still hiring a staff and haven't even started the game plan for spring football yet. But, like, there's no definites anymore. You know, anything – like, I think some of the decisions that Ryan Day has made so far with his coaching staff or even bringing in Justin Fields, it makes it – nothing is off the table. So they might go back to that, or they might completely switch it up and start looking for the ball. But nothing is off the table anymore. And I think that's the best thing that it is going on right now, is that Brian Day has made it clear that nothing is off the table. And I think we don't – like, Jeff Halfley is going to do what Jeff Halfley wants to do, assuming that Brian – I mean, like, they've had these conversations, right? They know yeah. what they're going to do. Um, but there's not a there's not a – there's not a fundamental, fundamental philosophical thing defensively that they're going to adhere to. Because Ryan Day is an offensive coach. Ryan Day knows what he wants to do on offense. He might have some idea of what he wants to do on defense. Do you want to play a 4-3 or 3-4? How much do you want to be a nickel? you want to play man or zone more? Whatever. And everybody does a little bit of something. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be freedom for these guys. So Greg Madison and Al Washington and Larry Johnson and Jeff Halfley and whoever the other guy is are going to shape this. And it may look very different. And I'm, it's one of the things I'm most curious about. Colvin02 asked about Tater Justin, who starts. I think we both said we're about 75% on Justin. Jeff Gilbert on the topic of loyalty and the new buzzword, ruthless. I think it's mine. I think it's my word. I think I started. I don't. Is uh, Day the type to start a freshman over a returning starter if warranted? And would he have any problem splitting carries with Dobbins again if someone emerges that you just have to get on the field? <clears throat> I think we, we believe at the moment that he'll do whatever needs to be done. Nothing is off the table. I don't, and as far, but as far as the, the running back, no, I don't think that worked last year. I don't know if, DeMar, if McCall will necessarily like be a guy where it's like, yo, he's got to get on the field for this many carries a game. No, I think that's J.K. Dobbins in his position. He's going to get the grunt of the carries. And, McCall will probably be a third down guy. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it will be very different. I think it will be very different. Someone, uh, we're going to have to end this soon because we've been talking a lot. Boop, 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 boop. Someone Mc- a very long email. Mikhail Ice. 
Incoming freshmen, can you rank this class in order from who's most likely to be significant contributor, contributors at least to least likely? I'm curious. Like this like year? That, so this year coming up? 2019 class. So again, I always caution people about, about freshmen playing. But I think we probably would both agree that Garrett Wilson is probably the most likely to contribute. Garrett Wilson, we will see him on the field game one. 100%. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think for him to be in the six-man receiver rotation, I think I would bet on that yeah. at the moment. Um, I think what's interesting is whether Zach Harrison will be in the four-man defensive end rotation, assuming that continues. I think if you think about Chase Young, Jonathan Cooper, and Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday got some reps this year at the defensive end spot. Um, when Chase Young was a true freshman, he was the fifth defensive end behind four NFL guys. Um, this group coming back is not as established as that, so I think there's room for Zach Harrison. The one thing is Zach Harrison's level of competition in high school was not great. Um, some of these guys who come, you know, Garrett Wilson's coming from Lake Travis. That is a gigantic powerhouse in like Texas. When you say he's the number two wide receiver in the country, he was the number two wide receiver in the country. So a, a lot of that contributes to this. And then, frankly, beyond that, I'm not going to try to spin the fact like I'm the, I'm the greatest recruiting expert on the Ohio State beat right now. I'm not sure who else. And I think, I, I, and again, in an ideal world, people say play freshman, play freshman. In an ideal world, you shouldn't have to play freshman. Because your sophomores and juniors and seniors should be so good, the freshmen can't get on the field. So when Michael Jordan played as a true freshman in the offensive line, that was not good. And Urban Meyer said the same thing that I was saying back then, which is like this is a failure of recruiting, that they were forced to play Michael Jordan as a true freshman. Um, and they might, I don't know, I'm not going to guarantee, but they might be in the same position with Harry Miller, and if Doug Nestor does decide to come here, they might be in that same position just because of a number situation. I mean, Harry Miller is a really highly rated guy, so... Again, they're, looking, they're going to be looking for an interior lineman. Yeah. And so you could look at Matthew Jones and uh, Jake Ray in the 2018 class. Um, is it Jake Ray or I always get it mixed up? Is it Max Ray? My bad. One of the Rays is Max. Matthew Jones and – because the one kid decommitted, Max Ray. Yeah. Um, so those are options. So it's like could Harry Miller be so good that he's ready? I mean Michael Jordan had to do it. So there's there's – there's opportunity for an interior lineman, um, but I think Garrett Wilson is at the top of the list, and I don't think it's close. Best road trip candy. John Myers says he eats lemon heads. Do you eat candy on road trips? Um, yeah. Let me, ask, can I, let me interrupt my own question. You're a young man. Okay. When someone says to you, do you want some candy? <laughs> no. What kind of candy, like, leaps to mind? And I don't necessarily mean a specific brand or piece of candy, but a type of candy. Um, I like Sour Patch Kids. Oh, my God. Millennials. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? I think of chocolate. When I think chocolate, of candy. He would have said chocolate then. But, but when, if someone said, hey, do you want some candy? I would think like M&M's or Reese's Peanut Butter Cups or Hershey Bar so or something said, like do that. You, when they, they'd say, do you want some chocolate? No, but, if, but so you think candy and chocolate are different? I think... All chocolate is candy, but not all candy is chocolate. No, I agree with that. But if I take – it drives me nuts. My children, if we go on a road trip and it's like, hey, you can get, you can get some candy in the convenience store. Okay. They always get that. They get Sour Patch Kids candy. and Sweet Tarts and there's stuff not, like that okay. when there's a whole rack of chocolate bars okay. but and they like, don't choose that. There are candy stores and they have chocolate in them. But there are chocolate stores. Like no, but I'm not talking. Who goes to a chocolate store? I'm talking about really UDF. Like chocolate. Oh, stop! <laughs> what am I? Really like chocolate? I'm not. I'm not some Swiss millionaire. I'm just a dude who gets gas and a candy bar. 
If you were in a convenience store like and you were going to get something kids. sweet, would you get chocolate or something more like Sour Patch Kids? Sour Patch Kids, which is ironic because it's not sweet, it's sour. But I like sour stuff. But no, I hate. First of all, I hate chocolate. Oh my god! I think chocolate is the most overrated thing on this planet, as far as like, like publicly consumed like good things. It's at Stephen underscore me. Yeah, come talk to me about this. I'll have a whole conversation with you about it. I hate, chocolate is disgusting. Wow, that it's guy actually disgusting. Off, that is it's awful. disgusting. Like you not like you will. If I gave awful. you a chocolate bar, you would not eat it. Awful. That got hot. Awful. That got hot. In every form. Chocolate milk, chocolate ice cream. Chocolate is awful. That got hot. It smells like awful. Fast. That got hot fast. Okay, listen. We're, I, we have to end on that. That's so hot, like I can't handle it's myself awful. right now. Um, so we have a lot more questions that we, did, we just didn't get to. We'll save some and get to them next time. Um, Doug DeLillo, loyal, we'll just end with DeLillo. If Madison wasn't at Michigan, do you think he still is the pick for a co-defensive coordinator? Seems more like a middle finger move than anything. Or are there other things about him that really intrigued OSU? I think I agree with that premise. That I think, I think the Michigan thing is an added bonus. And he said, with Bill Davis officially in the past, who is the next coach you were going to bully? Whispers, stud, please. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like, if I'm a bully, am I a bully? Do people think I'm a bully? I mean, you've gotten some coaches fired. I mean, uh, so like, I did. I mean, people have had to change their livelihoods because of things that you've put on record. I mean, I'm three and zero. So, I mean, I don't want to tell you. Tim Beck, Bill Davis, and Hugh Jackson are gone. So like, I and mean, I'm still standing. I'm not gonna call you a bully, but like, listen, like, like, <laughs> I mean, like, like, there are guys who were handed pink slips because <laughs> of things you've written. I mean, I, I think there's a difference between being a bully and being right. It's not like I, it's not like they were they I were mean, doing bullies it. are right. They found the right kid to bully. Yeah, but it's not like but when you bully someone, I, I think the implication is that it's undeserved. Okay, so I won't use the word bully, but like call out correctly. I'll say that you are the reason why there are some people who are no longer employed in certain places. That is certainly not true, but I do think I... Or you are the one of the reasons. You're on the list. You're on their list of reasons of, like, if they needed to come get reparations, like, they're definitely, like, they're coming for you. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they might be mad at me, but all I would say is... They're not all going to handle like Bill Davis handled it. That's true. Bill Davis was a very fine fellow <laughs> like, when we had our conversation. <laughs> like... It's not personal. And again, I've been accused of the past. Like, That's fair. Like, how would it be personal? I, mean, yeah, I don't know them. People, like, pers- like, you interact with them in a professional setting on a day-to-day basis. That's about it. I'm going to ask this. I'm going to do this last one. Acquiescence is fatal because acquiescence was excited about the podcast coming. In relation to your article about Clemson becoming what we thought Ohio State would be, do you think his coaching hires and replacements are primarily to blame after the Tom Herman offense? After Tom Herman, the offense was a mess until day. And then as the offense got on track, the D went down the drain. Reminds me of Florida and how he couldn't replace Dan Mullen, Charlie Strong, and Steve Adazio. I wrote about that a million times with Urban Meyer. It, it is the fine line. It is – recruiting is the number one thing a coach has to do. But building a staff and maintaining a staff and having a list of your drawer, the next qualified guy, is almost as important. Um, it's very hard to go 10 out of 10 with your hires. But you have to be able to do it. And so – Saban has been able to replace good coaches with good coaches. 
What I said about Clemson, I do think. I mean, I do think that's the number one thing, and it's going to be worth writing, and I am going to write it. Um, and that is going to be the first test. That's why we're, we're. That's why we spent so much time talking about these coaches. Because how, I mean, how would you describe Stephen MLM with this? We'll actually finally end. How would you describe how important these coaching hires are for the long-term success of Ryan Day as Ohio State's head football coach? Huge. Um, I, like I've, I only covered like four or five games, but you like a lot of the times it didn't look like there was. I said this earlier in the year. A lot of the mistakes Ohio State players were making. If one player makes it, it's the player's fault. When you see multiple guys making the exact same mistake or doing the exact same thing and it's leading to the exact same result, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, whenever you see more than one person do the same thing, that's not that person. That's who's ever in charge of that person. And that's what it seemed like a lot of the times of the games that I was able to watch from this like perspective and not just a fan perspective is it, it did like – the schemes were were weird, and like it, Greg Shion, like Jace, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Chase Young said it. When they simplify things, things got better. I think at the time Greg Shiano thought too much. He was thinking way too into deep into things that sometimes this needed to be simple. And I think that's where a lot of the coaches were. They were doing things that didn't need to be done, and it worked out in a very negative way, especially on the defensive end. So for Ryan Day, yeah, like. You got to set a standard here. You got to hire guys who can get the job done and can put these players in positions where they can succeed. And I think he's done that offensively. We'll see if he's done that with some of these defensive hires. Last thing I'll say about assistant coaches it always confused me why Billy Davis was Billy Davis in the NFL, but in college he was Bill Davis because okay. I think it would have been reversed. All right. Billy, he was always Billy, but then we, he was always Bill here. Maybe because, like, in the NFL there are, like, real adults, and so it's a different type of relationship than it is when you're coaching, like, kids. But wouldn't it be reversed? Well, Bill is, like, an adult name. Uh, Billy's like, hey, Billy! Right, and like, he's Billy in the NFL. Right, it's, it's like, no, I don't, does anybody call you Dougie? No. Okay. But I don't think if I worked... No, no offense to Cleveland.com, but I don't think if I worked at the New York Times, they'd then call me Dougie. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But, like, what I'm saying is, like... Um, like your kids don't call you the same things that I call you. Like I call you Doug. Your kids call you Dad, right? But isn't the NFL the more professional? Why did he have the less professional name in the more professional setting? Because it's a different relate. I think when you're coaching grown men, it's a different situation because everybody's an adult in that situation, and it's not hierarchy of yeah I'm still the coach oh. but like we're the same like we both go home to like our wife and kids while in the NFL like I'm going home to my wife and kids you're going home to your friends or your girlfriend like in, in college I mean, yeah so that, like, so that he did so for tough Borland to call an adult Billy, Billy is just like oh, yeah you're not no no actually that makes sense now yeah you broke it all down like you were like this, 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 this. so say like if your like daughter just one day was like hey Doug you'd be like yeah yeah it yeah it would throw you off a little bit for a yeah. I'm in. Okay. All right. Follow us uh, on Twitter at Doug Lamarie's at Stephen Means. There's an underscore in between Stephen and Means. Read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Review us wherever you can review us. Uh, make sure you're getting the podcast. Get subscribed. It's the easiest way to do it. Um, when I was cranking out the ones last week, again, we were like in the top five for college and high, and, uh, high school podcasts. Now it's because we were doing one every day. Um, so it's kind of gaming the system. But I'll take it. Um, so that's... That's it. We're going to get back to um, weekly and then 
We didn't get a chance to do a podcast because I was dead when I got home. Uh, we didn't get a chance to do a podcast before the Michigan State game for basketball. I'll just but we'll get, we will get to basketball podcasts. But, like, we're still in football season because there's all this stuff going on. We're always in football but, season. But once the NFL decisions I – keep, I, I keep getting it wrong on whether it's the 14th or the 15th. It's I think the it's the 14th. 14th. So once the NFL decisions are in by the 14th and once they have 10 assistant coaches hired, there's not going to be as much popping with the football team, so then we can really get into basketball stuff. But as long as as long as there's still upheaval with this football program, we're going to be all over that, I'll just both say, writing and talking. I'll just say this then, just as a quick little thing. This is going to be an interesting month for Ohio State basketball. I'll just say that. So, like, stay tuned. Do you think they'll win a lot of games, or do you think they might be hitting some games they're going to lose? Um, I think they'll, they'll think they'll win tomorrow, and I think they'll win on Saturday. They play Rutgers tomorrow, and they play Iowa on Saturday. I think those are winnable games. I think... Their issue right now is they're better than the lower level teams in the Big Ten, like clearly, but like they're not better than like they're in the middle and they gotta like that's like the worst place to be in sports is like the middle of the road. You wanna be either up or down because then you can like I disagree. Not in college. Why do you wanna be down in college? You don't get a draft pick. But then you know what the problem is. Like when you're in the middle, it's like like they're in a, when you're in a position where you're good enough to be bad teams, but you're not good enough to be good teams, then like that's just kind of like. I, all right, me personally, I would you make rather, the tournament though. I mean, maybe. All right, I don't. They don't have a tournament game yet. They don't have a game yet where it's like this is a resume game yet for the tournament. Is Creighton a resume game? I thought I thought non-conference they had a couple. They did, but then they lost to Syracuse at home. So like, you know, what's their record? Syracuse's record? No, High State's record. They are twelve and two at the moment. So who are their best wins of the 12? Creighton and Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a pretty good win, though, right? This is a decent win, but you lost to Syracuse at home, who started out the season in the top 25 ranked, and has since then lost to teams like Buffalo at home and haven't been nearly that good. UCLA just fired their coach a week and a half ago. I don't know. I mean, I gotta, I mean they're going to change anyway. You think, like, you think Holtman like, won't kick them in the butt unless they're really bad? No, that's not uh, – here's my theory on, like – Sports. I would rather get blown out than to lose a game by by one point, personally. And here's why. There's a lot more you can learn from a game that you lost in a blowout than you can by one point. What if you get blown out just because you suck? Yeah, you know you suck. But how are you going to get be- – but uh, you're, you're miraculously going to get better talent? I didn't say that you were going to, like, the next game be a championship-level team, but you know that you can easily identify things you need to work on. When you lose by one at the buzzer, it's like – You're drunk. I, I, don't, I don't even know what this theory means. This makes no sense to me. It makes perfect sense. You can't change your talent. You can't make a trade. You can't sign but, free agents. They are who they are this year. Wouldn't you rather lose by one than lose by 30? Nah. I would like I, to get that close. And as as a it. what though? As a who? As a player, or like as the coach of Ohio State? You think Holtman would rather lose by thirty? First of all, nobody wants to lose in hell. So like, let's just. I this is for no. I don't think Holtman thinks this. I think like I would rather have a situation where you know exactly what went wrong in a game, like in one game. I'm not saying like overall in the season. When you lose, like if you lose by no, one, no, ask, to, ask to Ohio State football about losing by twenty nine. <laughs> and how that goes over. You know who doesn't think that? The That's people. a little different. Okay, unless you, have, unless you are Ohio State football where you have a crazy fan base. But in a normal vacuum setting like Ohio State basketball is in, where it's not nearly the type of fandom that it is for football. No, but, but forget fandom. 
the people who are putting you in the tournament or not, the people who are putting you in the playoff or not, they don't care just about wins and losses. They care about how you lose, absolutely, 100%. They also care about where you lose at if you're losing out. They also care about what the team you lost to is doing. Absolutely. So, but regardless, a one-point loss is better than a 30-point loss. In the new world, how you lose okay, really yeah, matters. Because of how they choose things, yes. But in a, in a situation of just like you're coaching your team and going along, moving along as normal, I would rather lose by 30 than lose by one. Uh, all right, we can do a podcast on that later. Um, I don't even know how we got there. Yeah, all I just, just basketball talk. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to lose by 30 to Rutgers, though. Well, probably, no, they're right? going to win that game. Yeah, Rutgers stinks at everything. Okay, um, that's Buckeye Talk. We'll be back uh, next week with more. Again, we'll start getting into basketball, but there's going to be more football stuff popping. As stuff pops during the week, make sure you're reading at cleveland.com uh, slash OSU. So... Thanks to all your questions. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them. You can still send us email questions. We didn't do the email questions this week, but you can always send them to uh, BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. So for now, for Stevie, I'm Dougie. Oh, God. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>